In the cult classic They Live, the character of Frank, played by Keith David, tells the legend Roddy Piper that he's walked a white line his entire life and he's not about to screw that up. To which Piper says, the white line's in the middle of the road. That's the worst place to drive. That was never more evident than if you were in Bridgeport, Connecticut in the early 2000s, where if you're in the middle of the road on that white line, the gigantic thing coming your way could very well be a bus. And that bus's name was Jody Robinson. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drops and Bob Hartner goes right to King But just a minute, Al Arbor has won four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. Welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box. I'm your host, Joe Lazito. Today, I bring you episode 29 with my special guest, Jody Robinson. So, uh, it's been a few weeks since we've uh, spoken, and uh, I needed to uh, I needed the break. And it's something that it seems like I've touched on uh, a lot in my intros in the last few episodes. And um, honestly, I was hoping it would get better. And it hasn't. Uh, I'm not quite sure why, but uh, I just uh, I just needed a break. So um, I'm going to get into that in one second. But first, the last episode I did was my uh, top ten toughest Islanders left wings. And if you notice, when I do my honorable mentions, it's always guys who. Uh, honorable mention can be anything. It could be a guy that's played one game. It could be a guy that uh, that's played a lot of games, but maybe flew under the radar. It could be a guy that just doesn't crack the top ten, but uh, was definitely worthy of a mention. And it's something similar that I used to do in the Tough Guys magazine, where uh, my number twenty-five wouldn't necessarily be the twenty-fifth toughest guy in the league at the time, but it was someone I felt that was worthy of acknowledgement. Now this is where. My lack of technical savvy on the computer collides with my show, and I accidentally screw things up. So what I did was, uh, I guess it's Google, whatever it is. It's the equivalent of um, uh, Excel, and I uh, Google whatever it is, and and I make these charts and everything else. And um, 
there's probably a quicker way to do it, and I don't uh, I don't do it that quickly, and uh, it's probably very methodical. And if my sons were listening, they'd probably laugh at me because you know I'm the old man. But um, I want to apologize to someone who is a very good friend of mine that absolutely positively was supposed to be an honorable mention in the last episode, and that was Mike McWilliam. Uh, because of my lack of skills in this um, program, Mike McWilliam, when I cut and paste things, Mike McWilliam actually ended up uh, in the right wing uh, section of the uh, document. So when I was uh, preparing the episode, the right wing episode, and I saw Mike McWilliam was there, it didn't make sense. And um, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm a little congested today. Sorry about that. But I... Uh, I was just, oh, I felt terrible. And uh, because absolutely 100%, uh, Mike McWilliam deserves an honorable mention uh, in the left wing category. And if you're not sure why, please go back and listen to the episode that I did with Mike because uh, Mike's journey to Long Island and his NHL games is pretty much second to none. I mean, uh, he battled through some severe injuries, rode the buses in some pretty small towns, and, um, you know, uh, the one thing that I'll always say is I, I think a lesser man would have definitely given up uh, on his hockey dreams um, and, and would have been justified. So I shouldn't necess necessarily say a lesser man, uh, but maybe someone without uh, the passion or the drive that Mac had um, might have given up and nobody could have blamed him. But uh, Mac definitely deserved a spot on my left wing and he had earned the spot. Uh, on my left wing honorable mentions, and uh, like I said, I'm I'm a tech doofus, and uh, like he ended up on the right wing side, and uh, he was a left wing. So if you listen to that episode, uh, Mac is not an honorable mention, but he should have been, and I feel really bad about that. So uh, Mac, if you are listening, then I do apologize for that oversight. You obviously know that uh, I respect you a ton, and you definitely earned a spot there. So. I do apologize. Maybe if I do top 10 most handsome guys or top 10 most awesome mullets back in the playing days, you know that you will be there for sure. So um, I just wanted to get that out there because it it's been bothering me. So uh, so uh, I apologize, Mac. That was uh, completely my fault. So yeah, so going back to uh, what I had uh, started talking about. <clears throat> God, I am so sorry, guys. I am, I am so sorry. I don't know. Maybe I didn't have my orange juice yet. I don't know, but. Uh, there's going to be a slight change to the format of the show. Um, before, before I recorded a single second of my first episode, I had reached out to maybe 20, 25 guys. And I think I've said this before, just to gauge their interest in being on the show. And, uh, like, like I've said in the past, with the exception of one or two guys, everyone was pretty much gung ho for it. So it, it kind of spurred me on a little bit to do the show thinking that, yeah, Hey, if I get, if everyone that said they would do it um, comes on, then I'm pretty much covered just with these guys. I can do a sh uh, an every week show. I'm covered for half a year, and in that in the interim, while I'm trying to while I'm recording these episodes, I can try to recruit more guys. And um, honestly, I had a pretty good streak going. Uh, guys would say they were going to come on, and they would come on, and it would be unbelievable. And then I hit a dry spell, <clears throat> and then I hit the desert. So. Um, you know, I like I said, I don't know exactly what goes on in uh, everybody's lives. I know everyone's got jobs, everyone's got families and everything. And I, I'm not, 
Like, I'm not angry about uh, guys saying they're going to be on and then setting up something, and then they, they, uh, they, I guess the term is ghost me. I don't know. Um, and I, but, like, I'm not mad about it because we're all adults, and, you know, all I can say is I know that uh, when, when everything happened to me and people wanted to interview me, um, I, I kind of made it a priority to honor my commitments. And, um, you know, it was a different time. Maybe I have no idea. But um, listen, there's probably now it's probably up to six or seven guys who who I have made arrangements with to appear on the show. And I cannot get I cannot nail anybody down. So uh, two guys on the list I reached out to last week. And I, I didn't hear anything, so I'm done. I'm done with them. And, uh, you know, I can only assume that if they ever have anything to plug on their own, maybe they'll reach out to me. And honestly, then I have a decision to make. Do I want to do, I want to do the show? Um, and, and I honestly don't know what I'll do. But uh, I'm going to start with the list. You know, there's like six or seven guys. And what I'm going to basically do is maybe uh, check in with a, a guy a week that's on that list and if i don't hear back then i'll just x them off the list and then that'll be it so um i just uh i just needed a break it just got a little frustrating i just needed a break so what i'm going to do is change the format of the show a little bit maybe take a little bit uh of the pressure and when i say pressure it's it's pressure from nobody uh it's me here it's just myself it's there's no producer or um co-host or anything like that so it, any pressure that I feel I'm putting on myself, so, you know, but uh, to, depending on how many weeks are in the month, there were some months where uh, I'm looking at putting out five interviews, and some months it would be uh, four, and uh, I honestly don't need that aggravation, which is is what it was turning into, so what I'm going to do is, going forward, because I've had some pretty good feedback on the solo episodes where I do the top tens, um, stuff like that so what i'm going to do is i'm going to alternate every week so one week there'll be an interview and then the following week it'll just be a solo episode and i have a few ideas for the solo episodes that i actually think are pretty cool now next week will be the uh, top 10 toughest right wings and then after that i do hope to have an interview for you but i know for sure that uh, even though i haven't recorded the episode uh that will be the episode next week And uh, I have an idea. I have two ideas for the solo episodes that I think you guys will really like. And uh, hopefully when I start putting those out, uh, you know, send me some feedback. Let me know what you think. I don't think that they've been done before. So I'm not uh, I'm not uh, ripping anybody off here. But uh, but I do have some ideas and I think you'll enjoy them. And like I said, it'll it'll be a little bit different because it won't be an interview every week. But it'll also, you know, for lack of a better word or phrase, it'll buy me some time to try to nail some of these guys down and, and keep putting out the interviews that uh, that I enjoy doing. And, and from what I hear, you guys enjoy listening to. So um, I'm going to continue it as long as I can. Uh, I have no intention on stopping this. And uh, and I think for uh, for myself, it'll this will be a better idea because it'll be less aggravation. And... Um, you know who knows so it'll be a little different variety and uh as i always say guys please uh please give me your feedback so uh today of course is uh jody robinson 
Now, Jody Robinson is a guy you may not have heard of uh, if you're not an Islanders fan. Uh, Jody's a guy born in New Haven, Connecticut, raised in Ontario. Uh, how I started following Jody's career was um, he uh, signed with Bridgeport in uh, 0203, and uh, they were impressed enough that the uh, eventually the Islanders signed him to a two-way deal, and he ended up spending uh, three additional seasons in the organization, and I saw him play a bunch of times while he was in Bridgeport, and um, he's a guy not necessarily your, your enforcer type, but he's a hard-hitting defenseman. I mean, the guy hits like a train, or I should say hits like a bus, and uh, you'll find out when we uh, we chat about that. But uh, Jody was a guy who never backed down from anybody. Big dude, played on some really, really tough teams with some really, really tough players, which we're, uh, we're going to touch on there. But um, I, I don't know how many shows Jody's done, so it was kind of cool for me to maybe help bring his story out there because his career is definitely... Uh, one that you should know about, and uh, and I find it interesting. Uh, College-educated kid, and man, he's got a ton of irons in the fire since he's retired. I, I was really impressed with uh, with everything that he's done or is doing now. So uh, it's nice to see a guy motivated like that. Uh, definitely uh, uh, somewhat, not somewhat, definitely inspirational. You know, uh, to to hear everything he's he's doing and has done, and um, you know, he's got kids and everything. So it's. Um, I think he's a pretty inspirational guy, and I and I hope you enjoy the interview. So, of course, as always, let's let's talk about the um, the things I always talk about. So, if you're listening to the show, if you would please do me a favor, if you could please subscribe to the show, like the show, and uh, rate and review the show, that would be awesome. It helps me uh, since I haven't put out an episode in a few weeks. I'm pretty much dropped off all the charts uh, uh, in. Uh, I guess the Apple Apple charts, whatever, uh, for uh, U.S. and Canada and overseas. So hopefully I will uh, I'll get back on there. But if you could subscribe and rate, review, like the show, whatever it is on whatever platform you're listening to, that definitely will help me out. If you're on social media, I am most active on Twitter. I have two Twitter accounts. My personal account is at Joe underscore Lozito L O Z I T O. And the Twitter account for the show is at Kali Sinbin Pod. Please give me uh, a follow on both of those, and I will definitely follow you back. And uh, it's my pleasure to do so, and I thank you if you start following me. Facebook. I'm on Facebook. Now I have a personal Facebook, and I have a page for the show. Uh, Facebook is garbage. Uh, the personal accounts are garbage. Um it's just so stupid. So you can friend request me on my regular account and I will, I will accept it, but I don't expect too much activity on there from me, but I am pretty active on the podcast, uh, page, which is facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles podcast. So uh, if you could give that a like or a follow, I'm again, I'm not a hundred percent sure how that works. Uh, but if you follow it, there's usually some, uh, Islanders content every day. There's uh, fight pictures or uh, Islander enforcer birthdays. Uh, just fun stuff. Nothing too serious. And you probably would need that based on the crap that is on Facebook generally every day. I am on Instagram. So I have made my personal Instagram an Instagram for the show. So if you go to Instagram, it is under Coliseum underscore Chronicles underscore podcast. You can uh, follow me there. And of course, as on every other platform, I will follow you back. 
what better way to i'm sure that everyone that listens to the show are you guys are ruggedly handsome or you're just beautiful ladies maybe beautiful men or ruggedly handsome ladies whatever it is i'm sure you're all awesome and what better way to put the cherry on top of your awesome beautiful handsomeness than with some coliseum chronicles merchandise so um i have merchandise out there i have shirts i have uh leggings i have socks i have tote bags uh i just put out phone cases iphone and um samsung i guess that's it uh have that out there now we have masks out there because of course we're going to be wearing masks forever now uh so what better way to fight covid than with the coliseum chronicles the penalty box podcast mask um i mean definitely there's just whatever you need in life it's there in my merchandise store so please go to teespring.com slash stores slash Coliseum hyphen Chronicles hyphen merch. And it's there. Everything you need is there. And as I said earlier, you're a dude. You get the tank top. You get the ladies and they see the guns. They see you glistening. It's fall now, but you still get some of those Indian summer days where you're glistening out in the heat. You see the lady. She's wearing her Coliseum Chronicles tank top. She's wearing her Coliseum Chronicles uh, leggings. There's a natural attraction. I mean, we're all human, right? And then what do you get nine months later? You get that Coliseum Chronicles onesie after you have that baby. I mean, it's just, it writes itself. I'm doing this completely off the cuff. It writes itself. Um, go to the merchandise store. Get some merchandise. What else can I say? And when you get that merchandise, the logo I have, I love my logo. And I can say I love my logo because I didn't design it. The first logo I had I designed, didn't love it. I just needed a logo. This logo is excellent. And if you're an Islanders fan, a Mets fan, a Jets fan, you know the guy who designed my logo. His name is Joe Marisich. He's a local artist, and you know that I always sing his praises. Joe is an amazing, an amazing artist. And, you know, I, I'm always touting his tunes. He's, a, he's a, an amazing cartoonist. But um, he actually does regular art, too, and, and he's, he's really talented at that as well. So I don't, I don't want to typecast him in one role when he's actually very versatile. So uh, if you're interested in Joe's art, you can get him on Twitter, at GraphicsJoker. G-R-A-F-I-X-J-O-K-E-R or you can reach him at loudegg.com. You will not be sorry. Now, folks, what is what is one thing that um, one of the results of the COVID is that gyms were closed and uh, a lot of people tried to put some home gyms together, but I think, uh, what do they call it? The COVID-10, the COVID-20, wh whatever it is that uh, people are saying they put on this, they put on that. Well, if you live on Long Island, you have a pretty good opportunity here. Belmore Kickboxing and MMA is Long Island's premier mixed martial arts gym. And the good news is, if you're listening to this on Monday, this is the day they reopen. Now, the emperor, Cuomo, who loves his control, basically said that gyms would be reopening in phase four. And then, of course, he changed his mind. And gyms were allowed to open at certain points. Uh, I think 1% capacity. I, I don't honestly know. Uh, the guy's a buffoon. But Belmore Kickboxing and MMA is reopening on Monday, September 14th, and will once again be open seven days a week. Belmore Kickboxing and MMA has men's classes, women's classes, kids' classes. Private training is available also. Now you're thinking, 
it's a kickboxing MMA gym. They have private lessons. Uh, they have, like I said, they have classes. They have uh, free weights. They have machines, um, heavy bags, a- anything you need in the boxing and MMA realm. UFC fighters like John Volante train there. Gregor Gillespie train there. Uh, professional fighter league. Uh, I think he's a champion or a former champion. Andre Harrison. I mean, he basically started from scratch there. The bull, Andre Harrison. Uh, pro boxers, Chris Algieri, Adam Kalnachki, they train there. Um, and the list of guys who have trained there in the past is, I don't want to say it's infinite because obviously it's finite, but there are some pretty impressive names on the list. Uh, it is, like I said, it is a great gym. It has a great atmosphere. Um, it's not a, a gym just for dudes. Ladies go there. They always have ladies classes in the morning. Well, I don't, I can't be positive what the new schedule is with, with all the new restrictions, but uh, when I was going there, they always had ladies classes in the morning and, and the ladies had a lot of fun. So, um, don't think of it as like an, an old school gym that you might see in a Rocky movie. Uh, if you're a lady listening to this, it's absolutely 100% for you. Men, it's for you. If you have kids, you want to help them get into shape. This is, I mean, the gym, it, it's good for anything. Whatever you're looking to do, you're looking to get in shape, you're looking to get stronger, you're looking for more stamina, whatever it is you need to do, you can accomplish at Belmore Kickboxing and MMA. Belmore Kickboxing and MMA is located at 2551 Merrick Road in Belmore. Phone number 516-679-5997, belmorekickboxingmma.com. If you contact them, ask for Keith Trimble. Keith is um, probably the best trainer on the planet. He's a good friend of mine. And um, like I said, I don't think there's anyone better at uh, what they do than Keith. He's, he's just an amazing person. Uh, mention the show when you contact them and you can uh, get a free class, free class of your choice. Uh, they have plenty of classes there. And uh, like I said, go give it a try. You will not be disappointed. Belmore Kickboxing and MMA. Train where the champions train. Check it out. You won't be disappointed. Now, as far as uh, my compadres in the podcast industry, shows you might be interested in. If you're listening to this, I'm sure you're not interested in shows about analytics. You want shows about guys who do uh, the job like a man. Fourth Line Voice podcast with my friend Darren. Darren, uh, earlier this week, had some technical difficulties, but it's good to see that things are back up and running. Uh, He released an episode today with uh, Joe Grimaldi. Joe Grimaldi actually went to training camp uh, with the Islanders, so there is some connection there. Uh, And before the Grimaldi episode, he had former Sound Tiger Riley Emerson on the show. Uh, Both very good shows. Uh, Those are his uh, vault episodes. Every week he does a vault episode. He does a current episode. So it's two episodes a week. Those were the two vault episodes. Um, So the next episode after the Grimaldi episode, I'm assuming, will be a... uh, uh, brand new, spanky, shiny new episode. Definitely check it out. And check out Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel. Darren has over 2,200 fights on there. And as I'm fond of saying, if you've watched a hockey fight on YouTube, chances are it was on Darren's channel. Bobby Longgrass, the host of the Bucket Drop podcast, dropped some news this week that his season one will be finishing after his next episode which will have uh, Tyler Morrison, who is a an, an insanely funny comedian from Canada. 
Um, if you're like me and you think that um, stand-up comedy has gone to shit because the world is so offended by everything, well, then you'll definitely like Tyler because Tyler is one of the comics who just doesn't give a fuck. And um, he's irreverent. I think that's what you say about comics like him, irreverent. He's funny. He's funny. Uh, certain people might be offended because, you know, words hurt, I guess. But um, he's funny. If you like old school comedy, you'll like Tyler Morrison. And uh, he is Bobby's guest on the next episode of the Bucket Drop Podcast. Definitely check it out. I'm looking forward to that episode. Also, something else that Bobby does. Uh, Bobby sells Bucket Drop hats. The uh, Their caps, they're, they're black and orange. Um, and the profits go to help child abuse survivors. So um, definitely uh, check out Bobby on Twitter at the bucket drop. And I don't know if it's his pin tweet, but you'll see it there. One of the top tweets that he has uh, where you can order a hat. And uh, I would definitely recommend doing so. Um, you know, there's really not much more I have to say about something that helps survivors of child abuse. But uh, if you have a few extra bucks, definitely consider getting a hat. And uh, Five for Fighting podcast with Alec Olin Salen. Uh, similar to uh, Darren having Joe Grimaldi on. Uh, Grimaldi, like I said, he went to uh, Islanders camp. Uh, Alec's latest episode has Long Island native Jack Gregg. And uh, his story is, is pretty amazing. And uh, Jack and I, I believe, have some mutual friends. And I was actually going to reach out to one of them because with the stories that Jack told on Alec's show... I was wondering if he has any of these fights that he talked about on, on tape. Yes, I'm dating myself by saying tape. Uh, well, hopefully they'd be on DVD now because I don't have a VCR anymore. But uh, Jack fought, Jack's fought a ton of guys and uh, big-name guys, and I would be interested to see some of these fights. But if you're listening to the show and you're on Long Island, especially if you have kids that play youth hockey, you probably know Jack because he's a pretty big deal here uh, on the Long Island youth hockey scene. So uh, I would definitely recommend go to the Five for Fighting podcast. Give that a listen. Uh, unfortunately, Jack was raised a Rangers fan. Um, but again, that is probably not his fault. Uh, but, uh, no, you know, he um, he sounds like a really, really cool dude. And he's got a great story. So definitely check out Five for Fighting podcast. Alec Olin-Salen, Jack Gregg. Uh, and Alec on Facebook is the uh, creator of the Enforcer Appreciation page. Uh, lots of good stuff on there. Definitely, if you if you listen to the show and you're on Facebook, it's definitely worth going and uh, joining the group. So uh, it's better than, well, most everything on Facebook, to be honest. So I'm recording this episode Sunday morning. Today is opening weekend of the NFL season. So if you're listening to this on Monday, I'm either very happy with the Bills' victory over the Jets. Of course, there's things they could tighten up. But based on there being no preseason, I'm happy with the result and uh, happy they're 1-0. Or I'm utterly sick at their display in their loss to the Jets. Um, but I have the extreme confidence in the coaching staff and everybody there to, to right this ship. And even though they're 0-1, I'm looking forward to next week. So again, the game is actually two hours from now. I don't know what's going to happen. Of course I'm confident because not only do I think well, it's not, I'm not putting a flag down here. The Bills are a team on the rise. And let's be honest, even if you're a Jets fan, Jets going to Jet. I mean, honestly, they got to do something. And, um, you know, I like the Bills' chances today. But I just wanted to give you both options in case the game goes sideways. But uh, I'm pretty confident in my team. 
I'll take them over anybody. That's me being a biased fan. I have no problem saying that. I also want to thank my buddy Eric. Uh, as you see some of my posts, especially on Facebook, I'm trying to rebuild my uh, game-worn and game-used collection. Uh, back in my heyday, in my prime, I had around 600 hockey sticks from Enforcers, and it was, uh, it was something I took a lot of pride in. And uh, over the years, real life has gotten in the way, and I've had to uh, liquidate some of the collection uh, more than I wanted to. But, uh, you know, real life stuff comes first. And um, trying to rebuild that collection a little bit, um, you know, pretty much just uh, Islander guys, you know, similar to the show, Islander guys. But also, so, you know, if you know me, you know I've always been a uh, Nord Nordiques fan. They've always been my number two team. I recently had a uh, saga trying to get a Jacques Mayotte stick to me. It only took two months, you know, priority mail, two to three months, it gets there. But it did get here safe and sound. And uh, an old friend of mine, Eric, who lives in PA now, uh, reached out to me and said, oh, I'm coming home for a bit, and uh, I have a Gary Nyland stick that uh, I think you might want. And um, he was nice enough to give that to me, donate it to the collection. So uh, Gary Nyland is one guy I could not cross off my list. So uh, Eric, I know he listens to the show. I really want to say thank you for that. Um, obviously look we've been friends for a long time so but i just want to acknowledge you uh publicly on this finally the islanders uh won a game the other night they were down uh, 0-2 in the series they're now down two to one um as i've said before i don't watch much nhl outside of the islanders so what i've noticed about tampa so far a they're a frighteningly talented team i mean they are definitely a scary scary bunch in terms of their speed and their skill. They're not unbeatable, but watching them play that first game, oh my God, that was, that was a, Jesus, an education for me. Uh, the other thing I didn't know about Tampa, they are a bunch of dirty douches. I, I never realized how dirty they are. Of course, the guys who are dirty, um, you know, wouldn't really probably ever drop the gloves unless they had to, but... Um, you got that one guy slashing uh, J.G. Pajot. I'm surprised he didn't try to take his head off uh, just because he couldn't catch him, I guess. That's what you do is you try to break the guy's leg. But, uh, but yeah, what a dirty bunch. I mean, especially what they did to uh, to Brock Nelson. And that Barkley Goudreau, uh, what an asshole. Like, honestly, like uh, Brock Nelson got hit by Kalorn, uh, was off the ice for a while in concussion protocol, and he comes back, and later in the game, this Goudreau, he basically smashes his head into the glass. I mean, there. you know, listen, I'm all for rough hockey. That was blatantly cheap and blatantly dirty. It was a dick move, and, and Kalorn got suspended one game. Goudreau didn't get anything, which, based on what happened in Game 3, I'm okay with. But honestly, I think what Goudreau did was way worse than what Kalorn did. Uh, but, you know, I don't. I don't, obviously, I'm not in charge of the NHL. I'm not in charge of their discipline. But uh, that was, that Goodrow, what a cheap fuck, the way, what he did to Nelson. Knowing the guy uh, suffered a potential head injury, you go after the guy's head. That was dirty. But the hero of the Islander playoffs this year, and I'm so happy to say this because uh, you know I love the guy. If you follow any of my accounts, you know I'm always touting his praises. I hope one day to get him on the show. Matt Martin. What a series, what a playoffs this guy is having. And last game, uh, called Goodrow out, uh, fought him, beat him. I mean, I get goosebumps. I'm getting goosebumps right now talking about Matt Martin. Um, 
And you know there was um, there was an article in Newsday about Matt Martin and um, how he's this and how he's that. A, a positive article, but it sort of underscores just how short-sighted the media is because it's always like, well, he's a hitter and he's a fighter and he's this and he's that. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt Martin could always play the game. Yes, he's one of the premier hitters in the league. And yes, he'll fight anybody. But let's give this guy some credit. Matt Martin could always play the game. He could always do more than hit. He could always do more than fight. Where have you people been that are finally acknowledging how good this guy is? I mean, wake up. Wake up. It's like members of the media and, and fans, some fans, and definitely fans of other teams, you're just so blinded that if a guy fights, he can't do anything else. Open your eyes. Matt Martin is a talented player. He takes a regular shift. He's always taking a regular shift. Please stop with this revelation that Mar Matt Martin can do more than hit and fight. Wake up. He's been doing it for years. So welcome. Welcome to the show, Matt Martin, talented player, can take a regular shift on any team. And Matt, if you are listening to this, I'm glad that everyone else is finally catching up. Um, I have been accused of making predictions, and every prediction I've made so far in the playoffs has come back to bite me. So I am not making predictions. But all I will say is this. I hope, obviously I hope the Islanders play a bunch more games in the playoffs. I hope they do. Because there's a trophy that you get at the end of the playoffs for the most valuable player of the playoffs. And I'm saying that Matt Martin has to be in that conversation should it go that far. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. And luckily my wife doesn't listen because she'll probably yell at me for talking about that. But Matt fucking Martin, this guy, open your eyes. This guy does everything. All right? So good on you, Matt Martin. You're playing great. You held Goodrow accountable. You know I love you. Just keep up the good work. And how about the pit bull? Now, Sasha Lakovic is the pit bull. But how about J.G. Pajot? How do you not love this guy? How do you not fucking love J.G. Pajot? First of all, if you didn't see it on social media, go back and watch this guy during the ping pong tournament. Total showman. Total WWF entrance. Um, J.G. Pajot. I'm calling him the pit bull. I don't know if it's going to stick. I don't know if anyone else is going to pick up on it, but how do you not love this guy? I love J.G. Paggio. I love it. Islanders down 2-1. to one. They play today at 3 o'clock. Hopefully they even up the series. Uh, I want them to play for a couple of more weeks. Uh, I love this team. I love the, the brass. Uh, it's so nice to have adults in charge for a change. And, um, you know, hey, let's go Islanders. Finally, didn't do anything as far as real life stuff in this one, no politics, no bullshit with unemployment, this and that. But I do have a message for everybody because it's just getting worse. And now that the election is in sight, I'm just seeing it more and more on social media. Please, people, I understand that a lot of you go one way or the other in your politics. I understand that. But please, everybody, just because you're, you follow a party or you're a member of a party, understand that they're not perfect. All I'm asking you is, please, everybody, think for yourself. Please just think for yourself. Don't just go along with the party line. Think for yourself. It's very dangerous when you just say, yes, I agree with everything this party does or I agree with everything that party does. It's very dangerous. Think for yourself. I didn't realize that I have now yammered on for 33 minutes. Um, hopefully you found it somewhat entertaining. 
But the real reason you're here is to, to find out more about Jody Robinson. And uh, like I said, I think it's a pretty good job. So uh, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Have a great week. And here is Jody Robinson. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a very special guest this evening, uh, a man named Jody Robinson. Jody Robinson played uh, 177 games over four seasons in Bridgeport, had a goal, 18 assists, 19 points, and 192 penalty minutes. Also played eight playoff games, added a goal and assist, two points, 16 pims. Um, Jody, thank you very much for joining us this evening. Joe, it's my pleasure to be here. Now, uh, Jody, for those people who may not be familiar with your game, uh, I would compare your style to, say, um, like an Adam Foote, where um, you're, you're aggressive defensively. You'll fight, you know, you'll defend your teammates, you'll fight, but not an enforcer per se, and um, good positionally. Uh, is that accurate? Yeah, no, I think that, 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 that characterizes the way, um, you know, I tried to play every yeah. single night. I mean, I tried to play... Um, intense. I tried to be physical. You know, I tried to play within, um, you know, the rules of the game. But obviously, um, I learned very quickly once I got into pro hockey that, uh, you know, it was kind of, um, you know, survival of the fittest at times. Um, you know, so obviously I knew, uh, you know, going in that I would have to stand up for myself, that I would have to stand up um, for my teammates at times. And, um, you know, I kind of knew that going in. So I, I tried not to shy away from that. Um, I knew that there was a lot of guys... Um, that wanted the opportunity to play professional hockey and, you know, play in the American League and play in the NHL. So, you know, for me, I knew I couldn't I couldn't take a night off. I couldn't uh, back down. Um, but at the same time, you know, I didn't try to go look for it. But, uh, you know, I found out very quickly once I got up to the American League that, um, you know, if you do play physical, um, you know, guys are going to notice and they're going to challenge you. So I had to be ready, you know, every single night for that. Now, we're going to go back to the very beginning, and I mean the very beginning. You were born in <laughs> New Haven, Connecticut. Um, That's right. But I know you spent a lot of time up in Ontario, so my first question that I usually ask my guests are, is um, who were you as a kid? And by that I mean uh, when I was younger and I would play street hockey with my friends, I was always Clark Gillies or Bob Nystrom, guys like that. Um, so I guess my question is, how long were you in Connecticut before you relocated to Toronto? Yeah, good, good question. I wasn't in uh, Connecticut very long. So my dad was uh, a musician. So my dad, um, you know, he played in a band uh, called the Touchable Machine Shop. And, and they were kind of based out of Connecticut, out of New Haven. And uh, my dad had met my mom in Calgary, Alberta. Okay. And so essentially my mom came down to, to visit him. And, um, you know, she ended up staying for a while. And uh, basically, you know, she got pregnant and she ended up having me. And they were like, well, you know, where do we live? And so they end up going back to Toronto. It was kind of like not quite halfway between, you know, New Jersey and Alberta, but, mm. you know, they thought it would be a good place to live. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, growing up in Toronto, you know, in the early 80s, um, everybody played hockey. Yeah. Um, so my dad never played hockey, uh, but my mom's family, my uncles and my, my grandfather played some hockey. So, you know, we kind of got into hockey right away. So we played street hockey every single day. Mm -hmm. um, when we were playing, I, we were the Maple Leafs, yeah. I have to be honest. So, yeah. You know, I was like, you know, Rick Vive mm -hmm. or, or Boyle Salming or, you know, those were the kind of guys, Dan Dau, mm -hmm. you know, those were the kind of guys that, um, you know, I kind of looked up to. Yeah. And, um, you know, we were fortunate because we lived close to a hockey rink and we had a lot of NHL pro guys that would play uh, pickup there in the summer. So we'd be able to go over to the rink, 
watch the guys, get to know them, get their autographs, get their broken sticks. So I grew up in a culture where hockey was just, you know, the most popular sport. Yeah. So um, if we move forward a little bit. So, yeah, so I had a bunch of questions about if you ever went to any Nighthawks games or any Whalers games, but you were, you were long gone before you were of any age to do something like that, right? Yeah, no, I didn't. I, I didn't really know much about uh, New Haven, Connecticut. I just knew that it was a place that I that my parents had lived, and obviously, I always wanted to go back there. Yeah, um, you know, and I was fortunate enough, you know, um, you know, at the pro level to go back there and play play some games there. Then actually, kind of live close to there. So I got you. That was pretty cool. Cool. Yeah. Um, so in ninety one ninety two, while you were with the Toronto Junior Maple Leafs, you played in a in the Quebec Pee Wee tournament. Now I don't. Yep. I don't know if people down here really understand just how big it is unless you're a coach of a team or you have a kid on a team that actually mm-hmm. gets invited to play in this thing. So could you kind of elaborate a little bit on just how big this Quebec Pee Wee tournament is? Yeah, so, I mean, for us here, it's kind of um, legendary in terms of, you know, when you're 12 years old, the top six teams from Toronto get to to travel to Quebec City to compete for the championship, and teams come from all across uh, the world to play there. Um, so they have hundreds of 12-year-old teams from Europe, from uh, the United States, the South, the West, the East, and then obviously Canada. And um, it's amazing. We played all of our games at the uh, Quebec Coliseum. Yeah. Um, and so my team, we actually represented the Toronto Maple Leafs. So each NHL city would have a team that represented that city. So, you know, San Jose Sharks had a 12-year-old team and the Montreal Canadiens had a 12-year-old team. And, uh, you know, so for us, it was kind of like being in the NHL. I yeah. mean, we would play, like we played the Montreal Canadiens, and we had like 14,000 fans, and, and, you know, people were asking us for our autograph. Wow. And, um, you know, just being 12 years old, I mean, it was an amazing experience. We got to, uh, we, had ch- we actually got with the, one of the games, uh, the Quebec Nordiques were actually playing the Hartford Whalers. Nice. Huh? And, uh, and Gordie Howe was there, so I got to wow. meet Gordie Howe, and I got to, you know, get his autograph. So it, it's interesting, uh, you know, having those experiences just kind of, you know, um, I think kind of a trail for me in terms of, you know, maybe this is something that, um, you know, I can aspire to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, ask any, you know, any kid who plays, you know, AAA hockey um, in Canada um, and probably the U.S. as well. I mean, that was a big tournament. Now, I've seen on eBay a lot of places that they actually have, they make uh, hockey cards of all the kids who play. I've seen a couple of guys that I know they have uh Guy like Gordy Dwyer, he has a, a, a Quebec tournament hockey card. Did you did you, uh, you actually get one made of you? Yeah, so yeah, so they basically would sell those hockey cards in packages. Oh, um, wow. you know, at the rink. So yeah. we'd be able to go and, and buy you know you know ten or twenty packs, and then we trade them, and you know you'd sign them, and, and huh. uh, yeah. So I have a, a few floating around. You know, actually, you know, one of my teammates from Mercer, is a guy named Tommy McMonagle from Philadelphia. Yeah, he was, uh, you know, at his dad's place the other day, and he was going through his stuff, and he found one of the cards and sent me a picture of him. So, you know, people <laughs> have them all over the place. But, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, and again, it kind of made made us kind of feel like, you know, what, like, you know, we're kind of like we could be a pro one day. You know, yeah. and uh, they they treated us like professionals. We got to stay, um, you know, with families in mm-hmm. Quebec City. And it was kind of interesting because we didn't, you know, I didn't speak French. You know, yeah. I knew a little bit, but. Uh, you know, great experience overall, and uh, you know the hockey cards was just kind of you know that extra special uh, touch. Now, I'm sure you know being in the Toronto area, you probably played in some pretty nice rinks. But was the Coliseum the biggest rink you'd ever played in? And and obviously, you were a hockey fan, so you knew the Nordiques played there. So as a kid, what was that like going into the Coliseum? 
Well, I, w- I would say, yeah, it was, it was definitely the biggest um, rink that I had played. And I know that, you know, when I was nine, there was a, a tournament here called the Timmy Tag Tournament. And uh, if you won that tournament, you would play the final game in Maple Leaf Gardens. And unfortunately, my team never won it, but one of my brother's team actually got to play in Maple Leaf Garden. So I got to sit and watch him play. So for me to get an opportunity, you know, to go to Quebec City and, and play in the Colisee uh, was amazing. I mean, back then, um, you know, I had, you know, I was all about hockey. I played hockey every single day. You know, I, I collected all the hockey cards. You know, we watched hockey on, on, on TV. You know, we would have, like, there'd be like autograph sessions sometimes at the local mall where you'd have like, you know, Russ Cortnall or, Wendell Clark come and sign so you know for me to get that opportunity and my teammates I mean it was um, it was amazing it was amazing and, and, I, and again you know I, I, didn't, I didn't really think about it much at the time or even lately but you know things like that kind of um, I think kind of helped foster kind of you know a dream that you know maybe this could be you one day maybe you could do something like that so for me there was definitely an opportunity that I saw that you know this is something that I want to spend a lot of time uh, doing yeah that's great i love i love answers like that you know because like you say you you spend time in the states here you know so you know hockey isn't uh you know it's not as big as say baseball football basketball but um part of the reason why i love doing the show is is to speak to guys like you and talk about just your journey and that's what uh, Mm -hmm. to hear you describe that and just you know going back to your mindset as a kid i just think it's so great to hear and and you can hear the passion in your voice so i'm not surprised that you made it as far as you did. So it's really, you know, for someone like me, I, I love hearing an answer like that. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, no, no, I appreciate that. I mean, the reality was, was, you know, we played, we played basketball, we played soccer, we played baseball, like the kids in my neighborhood, we played everything. Yeah. Um, you know, it just kind of happened to be that, you know, when it came to hockey, I kind of, you know, we just had these experiences and, and things that were happening around us. And it just kind of, it just worked for me. I, I can't explain why yeah. it just, for whatever reason, you know, I had good support at home. You know, yeah. I had some really good mentors and coaches, and it just kind of really kind of pushed me in a certain direction, and I went with it. Well, I have to ask, because you mentioned your dad played in the band, so just off topic here a little bit, do you play any instruments? You know what? I don't. Do you and, sing? And I wish, and I would, you know, I try. I try. <laughs> I try. I don't sing very well. But, you know, yeah, you know what? Um, you know, my dad was very accepting of that. I mean, he tried to kind of introduced me to piano and, and, and guitar and you know I, I love music i love musicians i love watching but um you know what for whatever reason it just wasn't my thing and yeah. you know he was kind of fully accepting of that like he never kind of pushed it on me he was kind of like you know whatever you're good at you know i'll support you yeah uh, so unfortunately i didn't get that chain but i'm hoping you know maybe one of my kids you know gets that music chain well i i think and you may agree with me because when I was younger, uh, I didn't have uh, parents that were musically inclined, but I had no interest in learning piano or this or that. And now, as an adult, I really wish I had you know something like the piano. It's such an elegant instrument, and and you, you keyboards and things like that, or or guitar. Um, I, I wish I had learned something, but I think when mm-hmm. when you're younger, you don't appreciate it as much as you appreciate it when you're an adult. Yeah, no, I think I think I think you're definitely accurate. Um, you know, it's funny. I do have a guitar. Yeah, and I haven't picked it up for years, and you know, I was just kind of playing with it uh, in my basement. And the kids were just like mesmerized. I have a two-year-old, and he was just like mesmerized, uh, you know, by the sound. And 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 again, when I was doing when I was messing around, I was thinking, I would have, you know, maybe time is to try and to kind of figure out how this thing works. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I mean, unfortunately, it just it, it wasn't my 
path or my passion at the time and I kind of I put everything into you know into sports you know for whatever yeah. reason mm-hmm. now as you continue your minor hockey uh, I see that you were drafted uh, by the OHL Barry Colts in uh, after the 94-95 season in the 18th round um, was uh, did you did you go to any what's that were, were you drafted no, by no, them? You're right. yeah, okay um, did you go to any training yeah. camps with them yeah, so what I did do is I did go to uh, – I went to Barry. Yeah. So I got drafted by Barry Colts in the 18th round. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was it was kind of a, an interesting experience for me because, I mean, I, I knew a lot of guys. A lot of my teammates were, you know, ranked pretty early. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I was kind of 12th round. So, you know, I was kind of expecting to go a little bit earlier. But at the same time, you know, what I kind of used to kind of go to college. You know, both my parents had gone to college but hadn't finished college. So they really kind of pushed – um, you know, the importance of education. So, you know, I think, unfortunately, I, I did mention when, when different scouts were calling me that, you know, I was thinking about going to college as well. Like, that was kind of the real option for me. So I think that was reflected in, uh, you know, being drafted, you know, 18th overall. I think there was only 19 rounds, Okay. Um, to be honest with you. And it was at the Maple Leaf Gardens. So I kind of, I waited there mm-hmm. a long time. And basically, at the end of the 17th round, I, I actually left. Oh, no way. And um, uh, Yeah, so I left. I, 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 I was kind of disappointed. I ended up leaving with my mom and dad. And my aunt, uh, Mary Ann, she was there as well. She was like, no, don't leave. It's not over. Mm-hmm. And so she ended up staying. And <laughs> I left with my parents. And uh, on the way home, we ended up stopping um, at the store and then came home. And when we got home, my aunt had actually beat us home. <laughs> and she had my Barry Colts jersey. Nice uh, at the front door. Yeah, so you know it, it was kind of amazing, kind of how that happened. But I ended up going to Barry. Um, went to camp for two days. Good experience. Um, at the time, you know, I just I felt that I was a little bit undersized. I was only about five ten. You know, one. Yeah. I don't know, maybe one seventy five. Like yeah. I wasn't that. I wasn't. A, I wasn't a real big kid. And, and most of my buddies that had got drafted earlier, you know, they were bigger guys, a little bit more aggressive. So for me, I was kind of like, no, you know what. I'll, uh, you know, maybe college is my thing. So I went, so I went to, to Junior B mm-hmm. and had ended up having a pretty good year with Thornhill Islanders and, and Brad Selwood. And then again, you know, after that year, I got uh, invited to the Sioux Greyhounds. Okay. And, um, and so they wanted me to come up and, and play with them. So I went down to the draft to meet them and their ownership. And I think their coach was Joe Patterson and mm-hmm. Joe Thornton was their, uh, you know, their top guy. So I got to meet him and, you know, I was kind of like, okay, well maybe this is something that I wanted to do. And, um, but, you know, when it came down to it, when it came down to go to camp and stuff, I was just like, no, you know what? And I think college is for me. Like, I just wasn't ready right. uh, mentally or physically to kind of take that step. So, um, yeah, so I ended up going to camp. I didn't end up going to camp with Sue, but mm-hmm. um, it didn't, you know, I decided to come back to junior and kind of focus on going to college. So you had mentioned uh, you played uh, with the Thornhill Islanders. Now, when I was researching this, um, usually what I do is um, unless – you know, obviously, if someone say played with a Pat Lafontaine or a Mike Medano, like a superstar, I'll, I'll ask them about that. But most of the time, I try to focus on the guys, you know, the tougher players and and the, your tougher teammates. And you played with a guy in Thornhill for two seasons that I had never yeah. heard of, uh, but his right. penalty minutes are insane. And that's a guy named Stephen Kanupka. Um, and I, oh, ha- yeah. yes. I have uh, his first year. He played forty two games, had four hundred. Yeah. 74 minutes and the second year same games only 309 yeah. penalty minutes what is the story with oh, yeah. this guy oh man steve Kanupko was an awesome guy um so so he was yeah so he was a defenseman and uh just you know super tough as nail he's about 6'1 205 
and uh, you know, probably just one of the most competitive um, guys you'll ever meet. Mm-hmm. Um, fought everybody, fought anybody. You know, and he was fighting some big guys, like guys like Roger Maxwell. I don't know if you heard of oh, Roger yeah. Maxwell. Oh yeah. But he, mm-hmm. he, yeah, they called him the Buddha back then. But uh, <laughs> he played with the Canadian, the uh, Calgary Canadians, and uh, you know, Steve Kanepko was just the ultimate um, teammate. Yeah. Um, and he he loved doing what he did. I hope um, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he. You know, we, yeah, we had a good team uh, at Thornhill, and so you kind of needed. I mean, a lot of young guys as well. So a guy like Steve Kanepko, obviously made it a lot easier for us to play uh but yeah he was he wasn't afraid of uh of anybody yeah um so yeah he was a lot of he was he was an interesting guy he would wear um you know the shin pads he would wear soccer shin pads on his on his wrists oh, um, is that right? inside his uh, inside his uh elbow uh pads so that you couldn't slash him uh-huh. Um, on his uh, on his so I guess that was one of the things that guys would do they try to slash him yeah uh, but yeah he was he was a great guy super tough didn't lose very often could throw with both hands yeah um, and and just kind of you know technical as well but he was just a guy who would just go toe to toe and then um, that was it and uh, it looked like his tag team partner for those two seasons was someone uh, Anthony Belza yeah so Anthony Belza was uh, he was our captain actually so he's a guy from uh, Montreal. Um, and he was a D-man, and um, again, he was a guy who he ended up playing. He ended up going, I think, to university mm-hmm. in Canada, and then he ended up playing uh, some minor pro hockey. Yeah, and I think he made his way up to the American League. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, he was a guy who was um, super intense, um, not afraid to trash talk, um, super technical as a fighter. He could throw with both hands, pick his spots. He'd wait. He'd be patient. He'd throw. Um, and again, he, he's a guy, he wasn't a big guy, huge guy either. He was, you know, 6'1", 200 pounds, but he would fight guys who were, you know, 6'4", 6'5". Uh, but just a, the ultimate competitor, right? Yeah. And, 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 super, and super strong, too. Like, he was a guy, he had a background in Olympic lifting. His dad was an Olympic lifter. Okay. So he, so he was a guy who had, you know, amazing strength. He was built like a, like a, a model. And, <laughs> uh, you know, so he, he just kind of, he just had that confidence that, you know, if, if a situation got out of hand and he couldn't, he couldn't kind of control the guy, he could, could just wrap him up and, and finish it off. So you said Kanupka was a defenseman and Belza was a defenseman and you're a defenseman. Did you guys, were guys terrified to cross that blue line? I mean, I, I, I would say, yeah. I mean, Kanupka <laughs> definitely had a, a reputation as a killer. Yeah. Um, Belza was kind of a guy who liked to play. Like he would play and then mm-hmm. if he had to switch that up, uh, that mentality up, he would. Mm. You know, when, when I was playing, I wasn't really, I wasn't an aggressive guy. Like, I, yeah. I, I didn't fight back then. Like, I just, right. I was still kind of slowly kind of growing into my body. So I kind of, like, I gained, I gained 15 pounds, you know, from, you know, every year from 16 to 20. Wow. You know, so I went from you know, 185 to, like, you know, 225 by the time I was 21. So, yeah. you know, but, but playing with guys like that, I definitely learned, you know, that that intensity kind of rubbed off on me. And yeah. uh, although I played, I, I did play physical. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't necessarily a, somebody who would fight. But mm-hmm. as the more time that I spent in junior, the more confidence I got, and, mm-hmm. and then I started to fight a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, but it definitely kind of it kind of grew on me. It wasn't something that I was. It was just who I was. Right. I, I, I honestly didn't even realize that that's the kind of person I was. It was just kind of experiences kind of pushed me to kind of respond, mm-hmm. and it kind of just naturally kind of came out of me. Yeah. There is uh, one. There is a guy who played one game in Thornhill your first year that has gone on to some renown. I don't know if you remember playing with him, uh, Sean Avery. Do you remember uh, his one game and or him being around in Thornhill at all? 
Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, Sean Avery. Uh, yeah, I know. I know pretty well. Yeah. Um, you know, he was a 15 year old who was, was super talented. Yeah. Um, he was the same kind of player that he was in the NHL. Mm. Um, but, you know, he was he was a little bit smaller than everybody, but he was a great skater, smart player, um, agitator. Yeah. Would, would talk, you know, a lot of a lot of shit. Um, and at times he'd back it up, too. Like he yeah. was a guy who was just he wasn't afraid of anything and anybody. Um, and, and that, that never changed. Like he's been that guy mm-hmm. since he was 15. Yeah. Um, but you know, like, I mean, yeah, when I, I remember playing with him, um, the other team hated him. Um, so it actually, it, it helped us to kind of, uh, play our game because they would focus on him and. You know, guys like him, not necessarily just him, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, I've stayed in touch with Sean every now and then. Like, we're not close friends, but we run into each other. When I was in the American Hockey League, he was in, uh, he was with the Monarchs. Yeah. Um, you know, so I saw him there, and then I kind of see him back in Toronto. We had some similar friends, some similar circles. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, listen, great great hockey player, mm-hmm. um, super talented, you know, pain in the ass to play against. Yep. You know, people love him, they hate him. Yep. But um, at the end of the day, he shows up every single night. Oh, yeah. and that, I mean... Um, he he's that kind of guy, you know. The the fact is that we're talking about him now because he he does his job. He did his job, whether you love him or you hate him. And you know, for me, I never had an issue with him, of course, until he went to the Rangers. Because then I have, you know, obviously right. I'm an Islanders fan. And I, when I right. mean issue, I mean on the ice, off the ice, no big, right. you know. Uh, but yeah, no. Listen, the guy's a lightning rod, and he's done very well for himself afterwards. And you know, I'm I'm the kind of person where there's enough pie in this world for everyone to get a big piece. So. Good for him. I hope he's successful and, you know, move on from there, right? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I think his intelligence is actually underrated. I mean, I think he had a really good understanding of uh, of who he was and, yeah. and what the game was about, and, and he just kind of took advantage of that yeah. and, and made it work for him as, as long as he could. Yeah, definitely. So um, after your second year in um, uh, with the Islanders in Thornhill, so then you um, decide to go to college. So you make the ultimate decision – um, what what really was the deciding factor, say, um, to lean towards the U.S. college as opposed to junior? Was it the fact that you could play hockey both places, but in the college you'll get an education? Uh, you know, the, it's, there's a bunch of things. I mean, I think for me, um, you know, being an American and growing up in Canada, I always kind of wanted to kind of come back to the U.S. I felt like it was, you know it was a home that I never really got to experience, you know? So there was always kind of that part that was uh, driving me. Yeah. Um, you know, growing up in Toronto, I played with an organization called the Wexford Raiders. Okay. And uh, they had a, they had a really good tradition here in Toronto of, of sending um, student athletes down to the U S. So, you know, I kind of knew that and I, I got to watch some junior guys who played for Wexford that um, went to some big schools like Anson Carter. Mm-hmm. You know, he was one of the guys who played for them. So, you know, I just kind of, I, part of it was that, you know, I grew up knowing that it's something that I could do mm-hmm. and I, cause I knew other people who were doing it. Um, the second thing was obviously, yeah, I was, I was pretty good at school. Um, you know, it, it came fairly easy to me. So, you know, I knew that, um, you know, the learning part was important to me. It was important to my parents. And then I guess lastly, you know, I, I got a couple opportunities with the Thornhill Islanders to come down to some schools and watch them play. Mm-hmm. So we went down to uh, Bowling Green and we got to see Bowling Green play like Lake Superior State in Bowling Green. And, um, you know, that experience for me was, was amazing. Like, you know, we were at the game. There's like 4,000 students there cheering on the team. And uh, I loved every second of it. I loved the band playing. 
you know, I love the energy. You know, mm-hmm. I just I just knew for whatever reason that um, that going down to the U.S. that was for me. Like I don't know why mm-hmm. it just it just felt right, and I just knew from a you know from pretty young age that that's what I wanted. How how did you find the transition going from uh, Canadian Junior to the college game? How was that for you? Um, it was it was a little bit of adjustment. I mean, when I went to Mercyhurst, the guys were quite a bit older than me, so you know I was kind of an I was like an 18-year-old, 19-year-old, and, you know, we had some guys that were, you know, 23 or 24, you know, some older seniors, so mm-hmm. there was definitely a difference in terms of the strength of the guys and the size of the guys, um, you know, that was um, noticeable, um, you know, the game happened a little bit faster, um, so that was kind of a difference for me, obviously passing was a little bit more important part of the game, mm-hmm. um, because there was no red line, um, so movement of the puck, the guys were a little bit faster. Um, but for me, what I loved was the game was still physical. Yeah. You know, so back then, guys, like, we practiced, you know, from Monday to Thursday hard. And then, you know, Friday, Saturday, you give it 100%. So, you know, for me, it kind of took a little bit of a transition. But, I mean, you know, my coach at the time, Rick Cockin, he kind of, you know, gave me every opportunity to play. So, I, you know, I played I played every game, I think, my freshman year. So, you know, I got a lot of confidence out of that. You know, and, and the older guys on my team were super supportive, you know, of me. So, you know, I was just in a good situation where they believed in me, and so I tried to take uh, you know advantage of it. Now, your first two years in college um, was Mercyhurst. Was it Division Two, the ECAC West? Yeah. So the first year it was Division Two, and then the second year it went uh, Division One Independent. Okay. Um, and but I think I still think we were in the ECAC, and then yeah. the third year we went into the MAC Conference. Okay. So yeah, that so that that's on, uh, uh, that would be obviously two upgrades so division one independent is better than division two and then being in the mac conference is obviously better than being independent i would imagine yeah absolutely so like the yeah so being in the ecac we play a combination combination of uh division one division two and division three schools and then mm-hmm. you know that second year we play more division one schools and we play like two you know fairly good d1 teams like bowling green or you know colgate and then you know once we went into that third year our whole uh, schedule was D1 teams, and then we'd play, you know, four or five out-of-conference uh, teams against, you know, some of the top-level teams in the other conferences. So it was definitely kind of uh, an advancement for us, for sure. So one of your teammates at Mercyhurst is someone that I've I've had a uh, online friendship, let's say. We've spoken a few times online before, so I wanted to uh, get his opinion of you, and that is R.C. Like, uh, one oh, yeah. of your teammates from two places. So uh, yeah. What he said was, uh, Jody was my teammate twice, and he's also one of the best, one of my best friends too. Best thing I can say about Jody is he is a great teammate, but an even better human. He's someone you truly enjoy being around and want to have around all the time. He's a tough person and always and was always there to stand up or protect his teammates. I think we're both very similar in some aspects that we are both big guys that were physically tough and did not mind fighting and had no problem doing it when called upon or needed. Jody's nickname in college was the Bus. Because if you got hit by him, it was like getting run over by a bus, hence the nickname. I think guys <laughs> guys got hurt more when they tried to hit him. I think Jody was an excellent steady defensive D-man who was physically tough and always did what was required or needed to help his team and teammates succeed every night. As I said, it's very tough to find a better human being and person than Jody, and I'm very fortunate to have him as one of my best friends. So, first of all, let's wow. talk about RC now. Yeah, so... Yeah, so RC like I mean he's uh, he is a unique uh, individual. There's nobody else like him. Um, 
we met uh, my third year. He came in as a freshman, and, and uh, you know, at first I was kind of like, you know, who is this guy? Where's this guy coming from? He's like, you know, he's got a New York accent, uh, plays hockey, he listens <laughs> to rap music. Like, I had no idea who this guy was. Uh, but you know, we hit it off um, right away. Um, he was somebody who was who was fun. He liked to have a good time. Uh, he liked to train. He liked to play hard. Loved hockey. And um, you know, for whatever reason, me and him just kind of we just had a, a, a like a click right away. Mm -hmm. And uh, we liked playing aggressive. Like that was kind of like that's what we did. Like in practice, we played hard. Like it was kind of like a game. Um, it was very intense. And um, you know, being very intense at times means that you know when you're away from the rink, you wanna you know you wanna have a good time. Yeah. Um, you know, so he was a guy that, uh, me and him, we could go like anywhere. Like it didn't matter. We could go to any bar, restaurant, any neighborhood. It didn't matter. Like he was just down for a good time. And, uh, so was I. So, um, yeah, we had, we had a great, uh, college experience together to, uh, be able to train together, play together, work together. Um, and, and we're still very good friends, uh, to this day. Um, actually I just spoke to him last week. Oh, cool. So one other thing he added was that, um, he said that Jody loves to dance and club like I do, and we both have bounced and done security at clubs and bars for years. So I wanted to save that for last. So you have any good uh, stories of being a doorman? Yeah, you know, I, I forgot about that part. That's true. Like, so he was he was a doorman, and yeah. uh, you know, and I was a doorman too. So I worked nightclubs here in Toronto. So you know, we both had uh, familiar familiarity with um, you know bouncing people out of establishments, yeah. uh, breaking up fights. Um, getting into fights, um, you know, yeah, I, I mean, a lot of guys, you know, I don't think anyone else on my team actually, you know, did that kind of job. So for me and him, we kind of had a, you know, that kind of working class mentality, just kind of, you know, you deal with people the way they treat you. And mm -hmm. if, if they're disrespectful, then you can't be so nice with them. And sometimes you have to treat them a certain way. So, um, yeah, you know what I mean? In terms of, of the nightclub stuff, I don't have it. I mean, you know, actually, I, I continue so I worked in nightclubs my entire, you know, um, life to some degree, um, mm -hmm. just because it was, um, you know, an area or like a place that I was just comfortable in. And, you know, I, I was comfortable dealing with difficult situations, difficult people. Right. Um, you know, so that, uh, you know, that was always a lot of fun. And I think, you know, see, we probably worked, I think, one or two places together at, at a certain point. But, uh, you know, like like in being part of a hockey team, I mean, in, in that industry, you got it. Your team is important and you got to have each other's back and no matter what. So. You know, if a guy has a problem with one of you, he's got a problem with all of you. So yeah. um, we definitely kind of embraced um, that mentality. So, uh, you know, and it's a, it's a tight kind of bond that uh, we still have. So he, he's a great guy. Yeah. Uh, super supportive of me. And uh, he's doing great down in Richmond with his hockey programs. And, yeah. Um, I can't say enough, enough good things about him. Well, say one more thing about him. Who's the better dancer? <sighs> you know what? I think he's got better moves because, like, back then, I mean, he, he was in, we were into, like, dance music, electronic music, hip-hop music, like, he would definitely, I think, break it out a little bit harder than me, um, <laughs> you know, where I was a little bit slower, he was, he, he was he, I would say he would win the dance-off for sure. Nice, very um, nice. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> so your senior year at Mercyhurst, you uh, uh, you were awarded the all, you were a second-team All-Mac defenseman, so that had to be a pretty big honor for you. Yeah, no, I mean, I, it was definitely, um, you know, great to kind of be acknowledged, um, you know, for my, my contribution, I guess, to my team's success. Um, you know, we had a good team. Um, I had good uh, coaches that kind of supported me. So, uh, you know, the award was, you know, it was, 
it was a good thing, but I mean, for me, I think uh, the goal was to win a championship, and so that year we actually won our MAC, our MAC uh, conference. Um, nice. You know, so for me, I mean, it, it was a it was a good year for us because you know we had a good season as a as a team, and then obviously winning the championship. I mean, it's not easy to do, uh, especially at the college level, no matter where you play. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that was definitely a, a good year for me, and uh, you know, it definitely gave me you know uh, some you know additional confidence that. You know, I could definitely uh, play at a high level of hockey. Now, as someone who, obviously, we're discussing you play college and then went on to play pro, uh, it's always the old debate about uh, full cages, full shields. Um, and I'm of the belief that the college game is much dirtier than the pro game because guys are wearing full cages and they they get a lot braver when they know they're not going to get punched in the mouth. But uh, for someone who's done both, uh, what's your opinion? Which game is dirtier? <sighs> That, that's a that's a good question. I mean, I guess I would say, you know, the the pro league is definitely dirtier. Um, in college, you're right. Like, I mean, you have a, a shield, so you can kind of do whatever you want, and uh, um, you know, you can definitely take more liberties um, with guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no fighting as yeah. well, right? So, right. Um, you know, the the full cage, you definitely feel more protected. You know, you're not worried about somebody punching your face and um however you know in the pro level you know once you take off that mask i mean it changes everything you have yeah. to be a little bit more aware yeah. of how you play where your stick is where the puck is um you feel you feel everything you know mm-hmm. you feel the shoulder you feel the you feel the leather of the glove you you know you you catch the the tip of the stick in the face like it's, it's just a it's a different game your senses are more alert they're more aware because you don't have that that cover and so it changes the way it can change the way you play yeah you're definitely more aware of the fact that you could get hurt, but at the same time, you can't let that kind of become part of how you play. So, right. um, yeah, I mean, I, I would say, like, I mean, I played in the United Hockey League, which was a pretty dirty league. So, yeah. <laughs> I can't, I can't compare that to you know college hockey. They're definitely different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I prefer playing without the mask. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, for sure in college, I mean, there's a lot of dirty guys. Maybe I didn't receive that much of it because I was somebody who kind of gave it more than received it. I was a bigger guy. Yeah. Um, but but if you ask a smaller guy like one of the forwards, they'd probably say for sure. You know, maybe college was uh, was dirtier for them. But for me, um, I think uh, pro hockey was definitely dirtier. So who gave you the nickname Bus in college? Oh, I don't know. I think I feel like it was probably uh, Tommy of Monocle. Um, I think he was he was a year younger than me. Yeah. And uh, he was from Philadelphia, and so the. The bus at the time was also Jerome Bettis. Yes. Right. So we were mm-hmm. only two hours away from uh, from Pittsburgh. So, you know, a third of the kids that went to our school were either from Pittsburgh, another third was from Cleveland, mm-hmm. and then everybody else was from Buffalo. Yeah. Um, but you know, like my thing was like I just wanted to crush guys. Like yeah. I don't know why that was, but it was just you know what I think it had to do with the fact that you know I wasn't always the biggest kid, but you know from like I said sixteen to twenty I gained fifteen pounds. So yeah. You know I kind of started coming into my body, and then I realized that if I wanted to play. You know, I kind of I had to play physical, and I started to kind of like it, and uh, you know, so that was kind of one of my things. Like when I played against another team, I would look at before the game, I would go through the roster and see who the biggest guys were. Yeah. And I was like, you know, those are the guys I'm going to try and take out. Yeah. You know, hit them as hard as I can, and so I guess you know, sometimes I would focus maybe too much on that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, in college hockey, like it, you know, there was a lot of uh, adrenaline, and you know, our coach kind of liked the way. I like that style of game, and um, you know, I just kind of embraced it, and uh, you know, yeah. So I kind of, I guess, it kind of stuck with me. You know? So, uh, and and I liked it too, to be honest with you. I kind of, I liked the nickname. I felt like it was fitting. Excellent. Now, 
so you're done with with school now um how does it work you you don't nobody has your rights let's say so you're a free agent um were you definitely gung-ho i want to turn pro or did you have other options uh I mean, I, I knew that I wanted to play pro hockey. I had a buddy, a guy named Alan Hitchin, and he was playing in, I think he was in Wheeling, West Virginia with the East Coast Hockey League. He had signed with the, the Canuck, Vancouver Canucks a couple years earlier. So, mm. you know, he would kind of, we'd keep in touch and he'd tell me about the lifestyle. And so, you know, for me, I knew I wanted to play. Right. Um, you know, my other options were, were going to graduate school, like applying to graduate school or applying to law school. Like that was kind of my thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt that, you know, I owed it to myself to kind of see what the pro style was like and just see what happened, what would happen. Right. So obviously, uh, you know, I talked to my coaches and, and they were like, you know what, wait, they actually, I got offered to leave early. So like, you know, after we got knocked out of, um, the frozen four tournament, mm. they're like, you know, a couple of teams are interested in coming down for playoffs. And, um, they're like, you know, we don't think you should do that. We think you should wait. Yeah. So, you know, I had some coaches who were kind of trying to get me some different options with some American Hockey League teams. And, um, you know, for whatever reason, it didn't, uh, you know, work out in the American Hockey League. But um, I did have a connection through uh, Glenn Tamaris, who was the coach of the Elmira Eagles, mm-hmm. uh, which is a Division Three team. And uh, he was working with uh, the Elmira Jackals mm-hmm. as like a scout or, or something like that. And and so he knew my coach very well, Rick Gottkin, very well. And so Glenn called me up and uh, started telling me about this Elmira Jackals team in this league. And I knew a little bit about it because one of my teammates, Brad Olson, mm-hmm. who was a year younger than me, his brother, Greg Olson, played on the Elmira Jackals okay. that year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of knew a little bit about the team. Um, you know, so I think, you know, ultimately um, talking to him, he had a lot of good things to say about the program and, you know, some of the relationships with, Syracuse Crunch and mm-hmm. Columbus Blue Jackets and so obviously that was very attractive to me and um, you know but I also had some other teams kind of pursuing me from the East Coast like some teams like uh, Toledo and um, a couple other teams and um, you know at the end of the day I didn't really know which where to go what was better but uh, you know luckily in Toronto there's a lot of a lot of um, hockey guys who, yeah. who live here so I was able to talk to a lot of those guys and, and basically they said it didn't matter which league you went to it was, you want to go where you're going to get the best opportunity. And if, if you're good enough, they'll find you. Yeah. And so and so basically that's what I did. I, I talked to uh, Todd Brose, who's mm-hmm. the head coach from Elmira. And, you know, he offered me a decent amount of money. And, you know, I was like, okay, I'm coming to Elmira. Yeah. I was wondering if, you know, because of where um, Mercyhurst is located, you're kind of in a good spot in, in terms of being scouted because you're close to PA, you're close to Ohio, you're, you're, in, oh, you're in PA. You're, you're close to New York border, you're close to Ohio border. So is that something that happens where the coaches or scouts from pro teams will, will scout the college players? Uh, and am I correct in thinking that the proximity of the campus was a good spot for you to, ha- to be seen by other people? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of... Um... Yeah, a lot of, of teams um, that aren't that far away. So I think that definitely helps in terms of uh, being visible um, to the scouts and um, having a name uh, for your program. I think that definitely helps. Um, I think it helped that, you know, obviously I had a, a coach, Rick Gawkin, who had, you know, quite a few good players um, play, you know, at, at the pro level um, in previous years. So that kind of helped in terms of, you know, creating opportunities for me. And then obviously, I mean, we had a very good year um 
in the MAC conference and then going to the uh, the NCAA tournament. We played at Michigan Wolverines. Oh wow! In Michigan, and um, you know we almost beat them. You know, so mm. I mean, we went into a game where you know we were not expected to kind of we were expected to get blown out. Yeah. And uh, you know we were beating them three two going into the third period. So then you know Michigan ended up beating us four three, but. Um, yeah, I think it was a combination of all those things that kind of created, um, you know, opportunities for me. Now, when you get to Elmira, uh, similar to with the Islanders, uh, you have a couple of teammates here that like to rack up some penalty minutes. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. the king, I would say, is Brad Wingfield. And anyone that's listening to this podcast, I'm sure knows who Brad Wingfield is. The guy is uh, pretty legendary for his fights and his penalty minute totals and just uh, for the two years that you were in Elmira, the first season where you were there the whole year, he only yeah. had 472 penalty minutes in 49 games. And I say, only, right, yeah. I say only because the next year when you split time between Elmira yeah. and the American League, he had 576 penalty minutes in 60, uh, 63 games. So uh, right. what was it like playing with Brad Wingfield? Oh, man. Wow. Uh you know what, Brad, Brad Wingfield was, uh, he, he was an amazing guy. Yeah. Um, you know, we had a lot of tough guys on that team. Yeah. Um, and so naturally, I kind of, I don't know, maybe I've always kind of, you know, I've always liked guys um, like that. They have a lot of personality. And, yeah. And Brad Wingfield was no different. He was from BC. He kind of, you know, said what he thought, liked to have a good time, um, was super intense yeah. uh, when he needed to be. And he wasn't scared of, of anything. Um, he, knew what, he knew who he was and what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. and uh he didn't take any shit like yeah. he was just a guy who just you know what he didn't care like yeah. when he was doing playing it didn't matter to him like he was just gonna he was gonna punch through you yeah uh, he was gonna do whatever it took to win the fight and um he was just relentless and uh his intensity was amazing yeah um, i learned a lot actually from from that year i learned a lot from him about fighting like he was a lefty he would start off uh you know he would set up as a righty you know, he had all these different tricks. He used Vaseline. Mm-hmm. You know, his, his wrists were always taped. Um, like, he would play mind games. Like, he was just one of these guys who just, he was the epitome of what an enforcer was. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he was, he was interesting. Like, he was, you know, you definitely didn't know what to expect with him. <laughs> um, you know, he kind of kept you guessing all the time off the ice and on the ice. Yeah. You, did, you definitely didn't want to hit him with a puck. <laughs> um, I remember him snapping on me one time when I hit him, you know, with a slap shot off the ankle, and he looked like he was going to kill me. And, uh, you know, so I, I definitely respected him yeah. um, as a young guy, and, uh, you know, he was great to me, actually. Like, he was a little bit of, you know, he'd kind of mess with me a little bit, like, yeah. we sat beside each other. So, like, you know, he'd give me a hard time if I crossed, like, our imaginary line between our stalls. Yeah. You know, so he'd, me- he'd mess with me a little bit. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, like, the guy just, you know, he had all, he had her back 100%. Like, he was just, yeah, he was amazing. He's he a great guy. Sure. Just to give everybody an idea how tough this team was, uh, we've already mentioned that Brad Wingfield uh, led the team with 472 penalty minutes. Uh, Sean Legault, another tough guy in his own right, would lead most teams with 365 penalty minutes, but that wasn't even good yeah. enough for second. John Murphy That's right. puts up 408 penalty minutes, doesn't even lead his team. <laughs> so you got you have these three guys. You got Winger, you got John Murphy, you got Sean Legault. I mean, and we, you've already talked about the United League, what a crazy league it was. Uh, do you have – I mean, is there any memorable moments that – just like uh, absolute craziness that you can recall? 
Well, I mean, just just mentioning those three names is just you know crazy. It brings it back back a flood of, of memories. Um, you know, I do know that uh, my first game exhibition we played Adirondack, and we had like three fights right off each face off, um, and it was just like a, a bloodbath. So I think like we played Adirondack back to back Saturday Sunday, and we had like a couple college guys who were playing with us, and literally after that weekend, like they packed it in and they went home. <laughs> like it was just it was just crazy like i'd never seen anything like this to be honest with you yeah um and you know those guys they again they ended up being some of my best friends um and, and it was and they were deceptive because you know sean legault wasn't a huge guy like mm-hmm. he wasn't he wasn't a powerful guy but he was just super tough and could just just he had leverage and he was just able to punch through people and and john murphy wasn't a huge guy either but just you know his technique and his smarts and you know i you know, my first couple of games, like, I, I didn't play much. So all I did was watch these guys fight. So it was actually because these guys fought so much that I ended up playing yeah. you know, a little bit more. And they kind of mm-hmm. they kind of rubbed off on me, to be honest yeah. with you, because I was like, well, you know, if this is the way these guys are going to play. Like, I got to play that way, too. Right. Um, you know, so I did my best to imitate what they did. But, um, yeah, you know, it was a crazy year, man. Mm-hmm. Like, I had never seen um, that much fighting before uh, in my life. And all these guys did were f- did was fight. Yeah. Um, you know, so I definitely watched a lot of fights, <laughs> learned, learned a lot, um, tried to pick these guys, pick their brains about, you know, what they do, their little tricks that they use. Um, you know, that was kind of my thing because I knew that, you know, going in, it was going to be, you know, a tough league. Um, you know, so I'd, you know, I started boxing actually the summer before mm-hmm. just because I knew as a big guy, I'd have to fight some of these guys. And, uh, yeah, Brad Wingfield, I mean, he's. You know he's legendary in Syracuse for that. Uh, that there was one play where he had like 60 minutes in penalties, or yeah. like something crazy. He took off his shirt and mm-hmm. and he and he was fighting and, and uh, you know like that. When I think of Brad Ringfield, that's what I think of is like when he was going up to Syracuse. Like, yeah, he was on a mission. Like he didn't. He was basically a mercenary. Just yeah. didn't care. Whatever he had to do to stay up there, uh, yeah. he was going to do it. And uh, you know that type of courage. Um, you know, was infectious. Like it's, it's admirable. Yeah. You know, he did. You know, I mean, at times they cross the line, hundred mm-hmm. um, percent. But you know, just the fact that they're willing to kind of put themselves on the line, um, you know, every night. Yeah. Um, you know, I found kind of amazing. Uh, and I think that's rare. Oh yeah. I mean, I have. I mean, I'm 49 years old. I've been. Uh, I've been a hockey fan all my life, and I've been a fan of the enforcers my whole life. And I will scream it from the mountaintops: the the job of enforcer is both the toughest job in sports and it's the most selfless job in sports. And, uh, you know, part of the reason why I do this show is because of my admiration for the guys who play tough. And, and uh, because really, you know, it, it sounds dramatic to say, but it, it, it in an extreme case, it could be true. You're really risking your life for others by, by fighting because you never know what's going to happen in a fight. So uh, it's just my admiration for guys that do the job. It just, you know, and, and as... It's being weeded out of the game now. Uh, it just makes me appreciate them even more, and especially guys that played in the United League and, and the East Coast League, where the money is not what the NH- guys are making in the NHL. It just really is like these are honorable guys. Yeah, no, I mean they they had you know one of the toughest jobs, like you said, um, in sports. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to kind of see it firsthand. Mm-hmm. Um, and see what these guys do day in, day out, and, you know, what they have to deal with um, in terms of, you know, the anxiety and the pressure and, and, and the stress. And, um, 
you know, it was amazing. Like I never saw myself as an enforcer. Yeah. It's not something that I, I thought I could necessarily be, but, um, you know, they definitely, um, you know, helped me to kind of become more of a, a rugged and kind of, um, aggressive player. And, um, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough lifestyle. Yeah. Um, they put everything on the, on, on the line, right? There's a lot of risk involved and, um, you know, yeah, I definitely I have a lot of respect for the job that those guys uh, did and, and continue to do. And, um, you know, some of them are my best friends. And, uh, you know, those were the guys that typically I spent the most time with. And, and the one thing I think above all is just, you know, the level of respect that these guys have, you know, for their teammates and, and their opponents. You know, even though they're, you know, fighting and, and want to take each other's heads off during the game, after the game, mm-hmm. you know, these are the guys that you'd have drinks with. Yep. You know, these are the guys who... You know, would sit down and you know you you find out you have a lot in common um, with these guys. Um, so it's definitely unfortunate that the game has changed um, because you know those guys. I mean, they're some of the best guys on our team. To be honest with you, mm-hmm. everybody loved those guys. Oh yeah. So yeah, it's unfortunate. So as I mentioned, this is your this is your first year pro. So do you remember your first pro goal? No. No, I don't. I think it was maybe a slap shot, but no, I don't remember my first pro goal, no. Okay. I didn't know if it was a laser from the point or not. Five hole. I, I would think I would think that would be the only way that I typically scored because, I mean, I wasn't, uh, you know, I would jump into a rush here and there, but typically I'd get lucky and, you know, a shot from the point would probably be the most likely uh, candidate for a goal for me. And the goalie never had a chance, right? That's right. That's yeah. right. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I kind of knew right away. You know, once you get to the pro level, you see how good a lot of these guys are. Yeah. Um, even at the at the UHL level, um, you know, I realized that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't an offensive guy compared to the guys I was playing with. Like maybe in college, I was offensive, but yeah. you know, at each level, you kind of realize that, you know, your game has to change a little bit because there's so many guys out there that you know that are better than you in terms of offensively, at least for me. So, uh, you know, I really didn't focus too much on scoring. I just tried to get the puck at the net. Mm-hmm. That, that was pretty much it for me. Now we've we've spoken about a few of the characters you played with, but there was one of your teammates on that team that went on to something pretty infamous. Um, and you can talk about it or not talk about it. Obviously, I'm not looking for details, but yeah. uh, Tom Clayton. Um, yeah, that story is pretty wild, isn't it? I think I I, uh, I saw I saw I think it was like uh, Dateline or 2020 or someone did a piece on it, and that just blew yeah. me away. I mean. Uh, what kind of guy, obviously in the locker room, what kind of guy was he? Yeah, you know what? I mean, that, that story is uh, is crazy and very unfortunate. It's yeah. uh, tragic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, in terms of, of Clayton, I mean, you know, I didn't really know him that well, yeah. uh, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. He was kind of a guy who, you know, he played a couple of games with us um, after his year at Niagara Yeah. in the playoffs a little bit. And, um, you know, he was a talented guy. Like, he could skate. Uh, he's pretty tough. Um, you know, he had a lot of good tools. Uh, but off the ice, you know, I really didn't know him that much, to be honest with you. Like, he was kind yeah. of around, but he kind of did his own did his own thing, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, he definitely was um, intense. He definitely was somebody who competed. Yeah. Um, you know, and, then, and other than that, I mean, I can't really say, yeah. you know, what kind of, like, of I don't know. If, like, he wasn't... Like, was he a bad guy? Was he a good yeah. guy? He was always good to me. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I never saw anything that was, uh, you know, that was would make me think that, uh, you know, he would be, you know, responsible for any type of, 
you know anything heinous or anything like that. Right. Like, he's just another guy, to be honest. Yeah. With him. Just a young guy living his life, mm-hmm. um, trying to be the best player he can be. Yeah. So if people want to know more about what what I'm talking about, just Google his name and Elmira, and it'll come up. And it's a like like Jody said, it's a tragic story. Um, there's plenty of stuff online about it, though, if you're interested to know more about it. So. Um, when we move on to your next year, I think this was really a, a big year for you. Um, so I want to see if I have the timeline right. So you started the year in Elmira, correct? And you played the majority yeah. of the year in Elmira. And then at a certain point, did you get um, called up to Rochester? Yeah. So before I came, before I signed my contract, I, I, I wanted to make sure that I got an opportunity to go to uh, an American League camp. So I spoke to Todd Bros, and he was able to get me into camp with the Syracuse crew. So I got a kind of feel for the American League, and I got sent back down okay. to Elmira. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, so I just played the year. I played, you know, the month of October, the month of November, and then I got a, you know, I got called into the office in December, mm-hmm. and uh, basically, Bros told me that, yeah, we just got a call from um, Rochester, mm-hmm. and uh, they needed a D-man, and they want you to come up and, and play. And uh, yeah, that was that was huge for me. Yeah. I was. Uh, yeah, I was super excited because uh, you know that was the goal for me was to, you know, get as far as I could and play with the best um, players possible. So um, yeah, that was a super exciting moment for me. Yeah, definitely because it was only two hours away. Yeah, um, and it was close enough that if I did play, my family could come down from Toronto. From Toronto, it's like a four-hour drive. Right, right. Did they get to see you play in Rochester? Yeah, yeah, they did. Yes, yeah, so we played the Rochester Memorial um, Arena, and I think we had Ryan. Ryan Miller was our goalie. Oh yeah, um, you know. So I knew him from Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so they had a lot of young players that were, they like Jason Pominville and, um, you know, just a bunch of guys who had played, you know, in the NHL or played, you know, really good programs in uh, Division One. So for me, it was just like, you know, yeah, this is where I want to be. I want to be able to prove that I could play with these guys because it was something that I always knew I could. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I ended up going to a team that wasn't. They weren't a great team, um, but they had a lot of young guys. Mm. Oh, so they had Sean McMorrow, yep. um, who was a tough guy, and Sean McMorrow was from Scarborough, oh, yeah. where, I'm, where I'm from. So we both, like, I actually, I actually knew his uh, aunt and uncle because they were teachers okay. um, in the community. So, and then we also had, there's another tough guy there. Was uh, um, Andrew Peters there? Yeah, so Andrew Peters was there. So I had, I had played with his brother, Jeff. Um, you know, so these guys were kind of like, you know, laid back, young guys. Um, you know, so it was kind of a good fit for me. So I just kind of fit in with those guys and just kind of try to kind of just, you know, emulate what they were doing because, you know, it was kind of like we're all young guys trying to find our way in this league and prove that we could play at the next level. Um, so it, it ended up being a great opportunity for me. Randy Cunningworth was the coach mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, they just, they put me out there. They put me on the PP, they put me on the PK. Um, you know, this gave me kind of an opportunity just to see what I could do at that level. And, um, yeah, so I was only there for nine nine games, so maybe yep. three and a half weeks. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it definitely. Once I got a taste of that, I was like, you know, I'm not far. Like, I just need another, I just need a shot. Yeah, and uh, I'm gonna make the best of it. Um, while you're there, you mentioned that the team has a lot of young players, but they did have a veteran defenseman that does have Islanders ties, and that's Doug Huda. Uh, did you happen yes. to spend any time with with Doug Huda because? He always seems to be the kind of guy, and obviously his post-career where he's in coaching, that likes to teach younger players. And as a defenseman yourself, uh, did you get to spend any time with him? Did he teach you anything? 
Yeah, I, you know what? I do remember playing with uh, Doug. And uh, obviously, I mean, he was, a, he was a great guy. He had that kind of veteran aura about him. I think he was our captain. Okay. Um, you know, so for me, um, I got to, you know, practice with him and just watch him play. So, you know, it's amazing how much time you spend watching other guys play. Because, yeah. you know, you're on the bench and you're watching the game. And so you, you kind of pick up small things that they do. Um, because at the time, you know, uh, Huda was a little bit older, right? Yeah. So, you know, he played the game a little bit smarter. Like yeah. he wasn't, you know, faster than or stronger than a lot of the guys. So he was more about, you know, making the right play, um, keeping things simple, um, and just kind of thinking the game um, well. Um, so I didn't get to, you know, spend a whole lot of time with him because he had, like, you know, he had kids. Yeah. Um, you know, so after the games, you know, he'd kind of take off. But um, definitely had a chance to kind of get to know him quickly and, you know, practice with him and uh, just get a sense of, you know, kind of what it took to kind of get to that next level. So you said it was you were in Rochester for, say, three and a half weeks, and you go back down to Elmira, and then uh, how do you end up in Bridgeport? <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a good question. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't necessarily know how it happened. I did have... You know, I did have an agent that was that was uh, that was working for me, tr- that was kind of helping me get these opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew a little bit about Bridgeport, you know, because my mom was kind of an avid hockey reader, and she was, you know, she'd kind of you know watch some of the statistics and stuff. And so, um, it, I think it just kind of happened where they needed a player. I don't know how it kind of came together, but um, again, I ended up getting you know a call into Todd Bro's office, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, Bridgeport wants you to come up and play." and you know, as soon as I heard that, I was like, let me get my stuff, and I'm on my way. Now, you played 28 games for Bridgeport. Now, was it – once you got to Bridgeport, did you stay there for the rest of the season, or were you up and down between Bridgeport and Elmira? Yeah, so once once I got there, um, I stayed there the entire time. So, um, it, you know, so it, it was kind of it – was. it's a weird situation because you don't know how long you're going to be there. Yeah. Um, you know, you kind of – you know, you're playing – you know, two shifts a game, and then you might not be playing, and you know, so it was it was kind of a, a different type of situation. But um, I was fortunate enough that uh, I, I came into a team that was very, like, defensive minded. Yeah. Um, you know, which kind of suited my style. Um, and you know, they kind of they had Eric Goddard at the time. Oh yeah. Um, you know, so you know, he was kind of their muscle up front. And then we kind of had Alain Nasruddin, who was yep. kind of like a rugged D-man who would fight, but, mm-hmm. you know, wasn't an enforcer. So it kind of, you know, created an opportunity for me where I was the sixth D-man. I ended up playing with Ray Schultz. Yep. And uh, Ray Schultz obviously played with the Islanders yep. the year before. And he was kind of a great guy, amazing yep. guy, but a little bit of a dirty player. Mm-hmm. Yep. So a lot of guys hated, hated him. Yeah. And so because I was playing with him and guys would come after him, you know, I kind of would get involved in some of these skirmishes. Yeah. Um, you know, so I was lucky enough. We were playing in Hartford, um, and I had my buddies come down to watch the game. And, uh, you know, Ray Schultz was, again, you know, sticking a guy. And he, one of the, their enforcers came after him, a guy named Richard Scott. Yep. And uh, Richard Scott, I watched him fight Goddard, like, the period before, and he mm-hmm. was super tough, like, oh, fast yeah. lefts and fast rights, and he beat Goddard. Um, you know, but I knew, like, Ray was... Like, he was tough, but he wasn't a great fighter. Mm. So I was like, you know what? Like, I went to Scott. I was like, yeah, let's go. Yeah. And Richard Scott had no idea who I was. <laughs> um, and so he was like, okay. And we squared off. And again, in Hartford Civic Center, I knew my buddies were in the stand. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And, uh, you know, I ended up getting the better of them. Yeah. You know, and it was kind of like one of those things where, you know, it was just kind of the right moment. Um, I did well against Richard Scott. And, uh, 
you know, that just kind of changed a lot of things for me. Mm-hmm. I think um, I was fortunate enough. There were some scouts uh, in the building and from the from uh, Long Island, and yeah. they saw me play. And you know what? They I think they needed some toughness, you know, on defense. And so I think that helped me get a contract the following year. So you know, there are just a lot of things that just kind of worked out for me. And you know, I tried to kind of take advantage of them. Well, we got to touch. You. It's funny because you're. You're, you mentioned Goddard, you mentioned Naz, you mentioned Schultz, you mentioned the Richard Scott fight. It's almost like you have a camera on my notes here because you pretty much just <laughs> knocked off a bunch of things here. So let's let's just go back a little bit. Let's talk about Eric Goddard because, I, as you can imagine, I'm a huge Eric Goddard fan. I love the guy. I think he might, yeah. you know, you played with some tough guys in Elmira, but I think Goddard might be the scariest guy that you played with. Uh, and then another guy you played with in Bridgeport was Graham Bielak. So um, if you just give me uh, your thoughts on those guys. Yeah, so both, you know, both Western boys, yeah. um, you know, had been fighting a long time since junior. So, um, you know, they were kind of guys who were, you know, kind of unassuming. Like you wouldn't think that they're tough guys Yeah. Um, in my mind. Like yeah. their personalities are not, not that, um, which I think helped them uh, in a lot of situations because once it was time to go, like they kind of, they would turn something on mm-hmm. and uh, Eric Goddard again, tall guy, lanky, um, super nice guy could play the game. Like he yeah. was a good player, uh, mm-hmm. could skate, uh, could shoot. Uh, but when he fought guys like, like uh, he would kind of turn something on, something would switch. Yeah. And like, I've never seen a guy like hurt people. Like yeah. he would like punch through people and like drop them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so for me, a guy like me, I would kind of be like, you know, I wouldn't know how to deal with a guy like that in a sense because I would try to like overpower him. Um, but this was a guy that if you let if you let one of his arms loose, I mean, he's gonna knock you out. Like so, he was a guy who knocked people out. Yeah. So that was definitely dangerous. And then, you know, and he would fight anybody. So mm. you know, he was, uh, you know, he was he was super tough. And then Graham Bielak, I mean, Graham Bielak, I think was was really underrated in terms of uh, his ability. Uh, to fight like he fought everybody yeah and he never he never really lost i mean mm-hmm. he was a guy like he would fight um oh, i forget the guy's name from uh, ottawa uh um, mcgratton anyway it doesn't matter mcgratton yeah, yeah he would fight mcgratton every single game yeah um one two times and he would beat him like like he would he would beat these guys yeah um and like never got really knocked out you never see him get hurt too much like just guys that um you know, we're deceivingly strong. You know, like I was a guy, I was like six one, two thirty five. So I knew that I could kind of overpower a lot of guys. But when it came to on the ice, like guys like uh, Goddard and Belak, like they just had great balance and great leverage. So like even if you were stronger than them, like they could wrestle you and position you. And, you know, so they were just super smart. And, you know, if you never fought them, you wouldn't necessarily understand it. But, yep. you know, if you tried, like you'd realize that, you know what, they kind of knew what you were doing before you did it. Like they're mm-hmm. kind of, they were very methodical and like kind of like a chess match. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I learned a, a lot from those guys. Um, I got to spend a lot of time with them. Um, great guys off the ice. And then, and then obviously, I mean, their teammates uh, loved them and the fans uh, loved them. Oh, yeah. Obviously, Eric Goddard, I mean, he had an amazing career. Um, yeah. Play, you know, played the NHL for such a long time and fought, fought everybody. Oh, yeah. Did well. Mm-hmm. Right. So can't say enough good. That season with Bridgeport, you had two fights. Uh, you already spoke about yeah. the Richard Scott fight, and I think your first fight with them was also against Hartford, against Garth Murray, 
who was, uh, I believe, roughing up Tommy Pettinen, who was a tall guy but not very physical. <laughs> and uh, I think yeah, he stepped yeah. in for him. And unfortunately, those are the only two fights I have of yours on video. I was scouring my collection. So those are the only two I can I could speak of from watching. But I believe you did step in for Pettinen, and you did pretty well against Murray also. Yeah, I mean, Murray was a tough kid, right? Like he would run around and, and, and kind of create situations. And, um, you know, again, I was trying to kind of figure out what my role was you know, uh, with that team. So, you know, you know, I, I kind of got to the point where I was like, okay, well, I need to kind of step up for these guys. Cause they're not gonna, you know, they're not gonna, that that's kind of, I guess why I was here. Like they didn't say it, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, you know, with Hartford, we had this intense rivalry. And so, yeah. you know, with Murray, I mean, um, I didn't know much about him, but, yeah. um, you know, I do remember, you know, I thought it was a pretty good fight. I did. Yeah. I did well. Um, and it just kind of, you know, those things, just those, those few fights kind of start to kind of build up, uh, confidence and you start yeah. to realize that you know what like to be honest with you the uhl had some of the toughest guys in hockey. Oh, yeah. so you know if i could fight some of those guys and do okay then you know maybe i had a chance to do okay um you know in the american hockey league now you mentioned that the islanders um signed you you signed a contract with the islanders after that part of the season with bridgeport so did they sign yeah. you to was it a, a two-way deal with the islanders or i know sometimes they actually sign three-way deals were you on a two-way no so they signed me to a one-year Okay. Uh, American League. Okay. So it's just an American League uh, contract. So, um, yeah, so that was big for me. Yeah. Um, just having that stability. But the main thing was that I was, they invited me to camp with the New York Islanders. Yeah. Um, you know, so to go from playing the United Hockey League uh, to going to NHL camp within, you know, 10 months. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was huge for me in terms of motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was super intimidating at the same time. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was it was great because I knew that, uh, you know, I'd get to, you know, be in camp with a lot of great hockey players. And, mm-hmm. you know, also, you know, there was, you know, there was going to be some tough guys there, too. So yeah. it, would, it would be a good challenge for me to kind of see how I measure up, uh, you know, with those guys. Um, so, yeah, I was, it was, I was super excited about that contract. Probably the most excited I was in my career. Any, uh, any uh, bouts in that training camp with anybody, either in camp or in any of the games? No, you know what, I, I didn't uh, get to play any exhibition games. Um, you know, going into camp, you know, there was kind of, it wasn't super intense. So, yeah. so I, I, it was kind of, it was kind of weird. Like I didn't, I didn't necessarily know if I was, you know, if I was supposed to try and fight Goddard or right. trying to fight Belak. Like I just, I didn't feel like that was my, I don't know, maybe not my, uh, my motive or, right, or my thing. Right. Like I think mm-hmm. for me, I was there to kind of compete and if something happened, it happened, but yeah. You know, for me, it was just about, to be honest with you, I was thinking, yeah. okay, I'm, I'm around all these great defensemen like Adrian O'Coin and Radek Martinik and uh, Yini Namina and yeah. um, Kenny Johnson. So for me, I was kind of like, I want to see what these guys do, mm-hmm. you know, and I want to see, you know, if I can do the same thing and, you know, see how strong they are and how fast they are. And, you know, so for me, I wasn't really even thinking about the, the fighting part of it. I was yeah. thinking about more like I, I want to really kind of learn from these guys and just kind of, you know, see you know, where I'm at because I knew that, uh, you know, not too many guys get this opportunity. Um, you know, so for me, I was just kind of like, you know, if something happens, if, if that's, if there's an opportunity, then yeah, I'm not going to shy away. But at the same time, um, you know, I know that there's, you know, it's not, uh, this isn't my only shot. Like I'm here for the year. Yeah. I have time to prove myself. And at any point during camp, did you want to go and poke Eric Cairns in the chest or you just felt it was better to leave the big boy alone? Well, you know, yeah, Eric Cairns was a huge man. Oh, so, yeah. you know, I so I got to meet him and I'd seen him fight. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was kind of like, you know, I don't want to fight him. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, if it happens, it happens. But, yeah. I mean, 
No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go looking for it. Like, you right. know, like I, I, I didn't. I hadn't felt that I'd maybe proved myself. Like I was right. just a guy who, you know, had a couple fights, did well. Yeah. And um, you know, again, like you know, he was super cool with me. And, yeah. You know, it just never. And there was never that situation where that was something that I thought I needed to do or was going to do. But like, you know, obviously I was ready for anything. Yeah. So. You know, like the year before, you know, like I was boxing two, three times a week at uh, Cabbage Town, which is an area of Toronto that's well known for for boxing. So for me, I was just kind of, I was prepared, uh, but at the same time, I was just there to kind of uh, feel it out and kind of just do the best that I could as a hockey player. Yeah, I was just kidding around. I, I'm very good friends with him, so uh, I always think it's probably a good idea. You know, obviously, if you had to do it, you had to do it. But for most human beings, it's probably just good to leave him alone. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and to be honest with you, I don't think there were any fights, yeah. um, you know, during camp. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for whatever reason, there was a lot of us. There was like 50 of us there. Yeah. And, um, you know, for whatever reason, it was kind of like that wasn't uh, something that they were looking for us to do. Like, it was just more about getting prepared for the exhibition and, yeah. and, the, and the regular season. Now you, you had a really... I mean, a really good year with Bridgeport. I got 73 games. You got seven points, 86 PIMS. So now I have to ask you again. You scored one goal this season in the American League. Do you remember <laughs> who you scored your first American League oh, goal against? Man, I don't, I don't, I don't, you know what? I know that I scored a goal against uh, Wilkes-Barre. Okay. I think it, maybe it was in the playoffs against, uh, against Fleur, Fleury. Oh, nice. Um, that's okay. The only, that, that's the only big goal that I, that I remember, to be honest with you. And I, okay. I, again, I don't know why that was because – to be honest with you, like it was hard enough to score in practice <laughs> on these goalies. Like, yeah. you know, like mm-hmm. I just realized that I just had to get the puck at the net. And, you know, for me, I think what was most memorable was memorable was, uh, were the fights because yeah. like that year, like I fought like all, all the toughest guys in that league and I yeah. wasn't looking for it. Yeah. And I, you know, I did pretty well against, I did well against most of them. Yeah. Um, oh, we're going to touch so, on a few of those. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. sure, sure. <laughs> we're going to touch on yeah. a few of those. But I, but I want to I want to show everyone that you know just because guys occasionally drop the gloves and he and just because guys are defensive defensemen doesn't mean they can't score every now and then. Yeah, no, and, and I appreciate that. And I would score. I would try to score so hard. Like I was, I you know, like I, there were a lot of opportunities. It's just you know, for me, like. You know the the odds were in my favor. Like, yeah, it just didn't always go in, but mm-hmm. I definitely tried to score quite a bit. But I mean, you had I mean, and this season that you put up was this all about? You kind of not that you ever take your foot off the gas, but it's I would imagine it's a different kind of motivation because, like you say, you went from Elmira to Islanders training camp at ten months. Now you're one step away from the NHL, so now now it's like you don't want to. You're not trying to take too too big of a step in a way, but now you're you're where you want to be, and now you can just focus. You know, I'm in Bridgeport. I'm gonna make it here, and if things break right, maybe I get a call up. Was there sort of a a comfort level knowing that you had a place on this team? Um, I don't know if you call it comfort. I kinda, I, I don't mean t- comfort, had, but yeah, you know what I mean. Like yeah, I, no. Yeah, there was the, there was the feeling that that they wanted me there, right? And right. they wanted me to do a job. So you know, like I went to rook before I went to the New York Islanders main camp. I went to rookie camp, and okay. so you know, I, I sp- Greg Cronin, the head coach, he was the new coach, yeah. and uh, he pulled me aside, and and you know, before you know it started, he was like, "Hey, listen, Jody, we you know we have Graham Belak, we have Kevin Colley, and you, like you guys are our three, you know, tough guys." And you know what? There's a lot of guys who could have this role, 
but we chose you yeah and we need you to step up uh every night yeah and um you know greg cronin was kind of a blue collar kind of lunch pail kind of guy like as long as you give him 100 percent, you know he'll give you a chance and so you know that resonated with me so you know yeah like every game that i went out like there was no you know i didn't feel secure or stable i was every night i was trying to prove that right. i belonged on that team right and um you know there were no nights taken off and you know if anybody got in my way or anybody called me out then i had to to deal with it and so um yeah i was super kind of focused and um you know i was just kind of ready for anything now cronin spent some time here obviously with the islanders and the one thing i remember about him the guy was always tan he always yes. had a tan. I don't know if it was like that in Bridgeport too, but it was funny because obviously hockey is a is a fall and winter sport. Yet this guy always had a tan. Yeah, you know that's that's a good point. I never really <laughs> thought about that. I mean, yeah. you know, he he's a super intense guy. Yeah, super smart, mm-hmm. um, very meticulous, very focused. Um, you know, so you know, I never really thought much about his tan. I just thought, you know, I don't know, maybe, yeah, I don't know. I guess he must've gone somewhere to get tan, but uh, I never really thought about that to be honest with you, but that's, that's a good point. He yeah. is usually tanned. You're right. You're right. So while well, one of the guys you mentioned that you were playing with down there is a guy named Kevin Colley, uh, also born in New Haven. Uh, it's, uh, I, I, one of my questions was had, if you said that you spent time in New Haven as a kid, if your paths had ever crossed before Bridgeport, but, uh, Colley's a pretty intense guy too. Yeah. So Kevin, so Kevin was my, uh, he was my roommate, mm-hmm. uh, my first year. So, you know, yeah. So our paths hadn't crossed. Uh, prior to that but I mean we knew a lot of the same guys so for example a guy like Rick Jackman mm-hmm. uh, who was with the maybe he was with Maple Leafs I don't know where he was at the time but him and uh, Collie were good buddies and me and Rick had played together uh, here in Toronto so you know we knew a lot of the same people um, had a lot of the same friends but definitely didn't necessarily know each other it was kind yeah. of weird that you know to find out that you know he was born in New Haven I was born in New Haven and you know that was that was kind of it was kind of cool too, right? Because it yeah. kind of you know it, it, it kind of created a connection with us and the fans in the area. And uh, yeah, he was uh, you know he wasn't a big guy, yeah, um, but soup but played played huge. Um, definitely uh, one of our leaders. Yeah, um, a lot of fun off the ice. Uh, me and him, we got into a lot of we you know we went to, we would go to Atlantic City or New mm-hmm. York City after after games. But uh, yeah, no, he was you know he was again he wasn't a, he was a guy he was a lefty. Yeah, um, and he could throw good. He could throw with both hands. Yeah, um, and he'd fight. He'd fight anybody, and uh, you know, you kind of knew that he had your back a hundred percent. So yeah, he was a great, a great, great teammate and uh, good roommate too. Yeah, he was a lot of fun. Now Steve Webb uh, spent some time there that season, didn't he? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever, oh, yeah. you ever yeah. just watch? You know, you sit on the bench and watch that guy play, and the guy will throw like three hits on the same shift. I mean, the the guy, you know. Think about it. So I'm here on Long Island, and you know yeah. you have the four cups, and you have you know legends played for this team. I mean, from right. from the inception, and Steve Webb for his work ethic. The guy is he's literally a folk hero here. People love love him because of the way he plays the game. And you know, even though people think Long Island, it's it's like the suburbs and everything. There we're a very right. blue collar people too. So uh, people yeah. here love Steve Webb. So what was it like to to play with him and watch him you know just be a human pinball every night yeah well i mean i I got to play against him when he was with first when he was against when he was with um he was with uh the pittsburgh affiliate uh uh, uh, scranton yeah Mm -hmm. 
And so, I, and so I didn't like him because he was, he was a little bit of a, you know, he was tough to play against, right? He played hard and he would talk and chirp and, yep. you know, so I didn't really like him as, uh, you know, playing against him. But he got traded later that year to our team. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was, he, was, he was a lot of fun. You know, like obviously I didn't know him that well mm-hmm. or like, you know, his legend and in, in, uh, his legendary status in Long Island. I didn't really know much about that until later when we went to Long Island and, you know, everybody knew him. But, yeah. um, you know, and again, I mean, he was, you know, we had a team that kind of had that, you know, that kind of work ethic, that blue collar mentality. So he fit in perfectly with our team. Yeah. Um, you know, and he would go hard, played hard, um, you know, for his team. So, I mean, he was, uh, he was a lot of fun. You know, he kind of relaxed everything. You know, he kind of had a relaxed attitude, funny guy, you know, you know, joking in the locker room, um, super laid back. Um, you know, but again, he kind of, he gave the team a little bit of confidence on the ice, right? Because he played big. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah. So he was a lot, a lot of fun to play with, a lot of fun off the ice. You know, he liked to dance too. So <laughs> you know, he liked to have a good time. Him and we would go with me, him and Collie and and Vlock and Nasruddin. Like we yeah. said, we had a good team that actually went out after you know games and stuff like that because a lot of us were single or yeah, um, you know, lived on our own. So yeah, I got to experience uh, Webb. I think you know maybe that following summer I went to. Uh, they had like a prospect camp in Long Island, so we were down there for a month. Mm-hmm. Me, Belak, Collie was there, and so I think Webb would, you know, he'd, he'd call us up every now and then, and we'd go out for a little bit. So you know, and so we'd get to kind of meet all the people that he knew there. Yeah, and uh, it was basically like going around with the mayor, like he yeah, knew mm-hmm. everybody, anyone who worked at a restaurant, owned a restaurant, like he he knew everybody. So yep. uh, yeah, it was a great experience, man. I mean, to to kind of be there with him in Long Island this summer was uh, was awesome. So now we're going to talk about some of the guys that you fought this season. And again, you know, you're you're on a team with tough players, and I know yeah. it's part of your repertoire here. But you didn't pick on little guys this season. This this season, let me throw some names at you. See if any of these uh, you know spark up any memories. Uh, Jason McDonald on Hartford. Yeah. Dougie yeah. Dowell on Providence. Yeah. Uh, Sean Thornton on Norfolk. Yeah. Dennis Bonvey in Binghamton. Uh, Darren Van Own, I think underrated as a fighter in Providence, and yeah. a guy named Colt Noor, who you just happened to fight twice. I mean, that's right. For that's a guy right. who's who's <laughs> wasn't your primary job. I mean, you only had eighty six penalty minutes that year. You certainly made the most of them. Yeah, no, you're right. I did, I did, and so I mean, I guess you know, for me, I, you know, I I tried to kind of play within the rules. I didn't like, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to be in the penalty box. I hate being in the penalty box. Yeah, but you know, at the same time. I'm like, you know, I, I was going into these buildings for the first time. And for me, I was kind of like, you know, either I go after them or they come after me. So, you know, I didn't change the way I played in any of these buildings. And so they would kind of come after me and then I'd be like, no problem. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, I, I, I knew a lot about these guys. Like Sean Thornton was a guy that I knew. I didn't know him personally, but I knew about him. Yeah. And same with, um, you know, like a lot of these guys, like Colton Orr and, yeah. and Van Owen and, and Dougie Duel. Like I knew these guys from like Brad, Brad uh, Wingfield yeah. and, and Sean Legault. Like they told me about these guys, mm-hmm. and, you know, so they were kind of like, I knew who they were and I didn't have anything to lose right. um, from my perspective. It's like, okay, well, they've been fighting a long time. I haven't been fighting that long, but, you know, maybe I'm stronger than them. So yeah. maybe I'll try and, uh, you know, kind of tie them up and try to overpower them. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'd kind of take different approaches to, to fighting with these guys. And at the same time, you know, they didn't know who I was. So, yeah. you know, I, I don't think that I, th- I think that might have been, you know, challenging for them as well. So, um, you know, for me, I, you know, I think I did pretty well, you know, in, in, in pretty much all those fights. You know, yeah. I'm not going to say that I won them all or, mm. 
you know, that I, you know, I, I'm sure I lost some of them too, but, uh, you know, for me, it was just a confidence builder, you know, like when you fight a guy like Sean Thornton, um, you know, or even a guy like Dougie Duell. Yeah. Like, you know, he, Dougie, like, I didn't know what the guy was doing. Like, I went to grab him, he ducked, and yeah. he tried to hit me with a left. And, you know, so these guys were kind of thinking, uh, they're super technical. So yeah. no way did I think that I would be able to necessarily outfight them. But, uh, you know, I knew that I was athletic and I was strong and I knew how to throw with both hands. So, you know, I, I was fortunate enough that, you know, I kind of had prepared. Mm -hmm. um, during the summer, like I had a buddy named Jason Payne who played in the East Coast. Oh yeah, I know him. And the UHL, and yep. so he's a guy. Me and him are both in the same neighborhood. Yeah, you know. So when we'd go to skates, you know, after the skate, I would work with him, right? Mm -hmm. So we'd work on, you know, our balance and switching hands, and you know. So I had some people who kind of helped prepare me for these type of situations, and uh, you know, each time I end up fighting a guy, you know, like it would give me a little more confidence, and you know, I'd feel a little bit more comfortable. So. You know, it ended up being a pretty good year for me in terms of those guys that I did fight. Yeah. Um, and then it allowed me to kind of continue to play the way I like to play, which was aggressive and intense. Yeah, well, Jason Payne is a very tough guy and a very smart fighter, so that's a pretty good mentor to have for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then, you know, obviously the guys I played with in, uh, you know, in Elmira with, uh, you know, Wingfield. You know, Wingfield yeah. was a power guy. Like, he was super strong, so he would overpower guys. He was left-handed, but he would you know, throw both and you couldn't really tell which was which. So, you know, I would learn a little bit from him. And then a guy like, uh, like Murphy, um, you know, he was a smaller guy, so he had to be like really technical. And, you know, so he had these different techniques that he would use to switch hands and cross grip. And, you know, so I, I was kind of fortunate to, you know, that worst case scenario, like I might lose, but I could always tie them up. But, you know, I wasn't, I was kind of fighting just not to lose, mm. you know, and then as I got more confidence, you know, I take more risks. Right. Um, <laughs> I'm laughing because, you know, I just discussed your, your opponents that season. And then yeah. we go to the next season, and you didn't fight as much, but your quality of opponent didn't go down at all. <laughs> you had three fights. Yeah. But you fought Bonvi again. Yes. Uh, yeah. Cam Jansen, who yeah. is a handful for anybody, because not only is he tough, he's got yeah. stamina that takes a backseat to nobody, yeah. and Mike's groy. So yeah. Um, yeah. do you remember fighting anything about those guys? What's it like fighting oh, yeah. Cam Jansen when you know the guy is not going to run out of gas? Okay, so I didn't, I didn't know that. So okay. when, I was play, when I was playing against him, he was in Albany, Yeah. right? So he was kind of a guy who reminded me of RST. Like he was kind of – he was like 5'10", stocky, yep. talked a lot. And, you know, kind of, I knew he could take a punch. So I didn't really know much about him. Um, so going into that, you know, I just, you know, I just tried to kind of hang on a little bit, throw punches here and there. But, you know, I kind of, I didn't always have the best balance, to be honest with you, when I was fighting these guys. Um, so I ended up falling. Um, so it wasn't a long fight. Um, and then I saw him go out and fight Belak, and I was like, wow, like, yeah. this guy is impressive. Like, he just fought a guy who's six five, and, like, he did really well against him. So, yeah. Um, you know, I, so I kind of got lucky with Jansen. It wasn't really a long fight. Mm -hmm. um, the fight with, um, uh, what's the other guy that you mentioned? Scroy, uh, Mike Scroy. Oh, Bonvi, oh, yeah. Smoke. So I'll talk about Bonvi. Bonvi, I think, I feel like I'd fought him the year before. You did. I'd seen him, I'd seen him fight. Yeah. And so I kind of knew what he was about. Like, he wasn't a big guy. Yeah. But he was, uh, you know, but he was, he was experienced, right? So I kind of knew that, um, you know, just kind of see what happens you know like i didn't really have any expectations just go in there and just you know see what i could do and so you know i think you know i did pretty well it was probably tied mm -hmm. um you know but for me that's a win you know yeah. whenever you fight a guy who has who's legendary and has you know thousands of minutes and penalties oh yeah um, and has fought the toughest guys in the nhl and the american league you know 
for me to kind of get out of that unscathed, um, you know, was, was good for me. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, that was just one of those situations where we'd go into that barn and, and Belak would fight McGratton and, you know, I would fight, I would fight, uh, Barnaby. So yeah. it's just one of those things, a trade off. Right. And then, you know, Scroy was, he was a different kind of guy. Like he, yeah. He was like he was. A, I knew that I knew that he was an experienced fighter as well because he's buddies with RC Like, mm-hmm. you know. So RC had told me a little bit about him, um, and so I'd watched him fight Goddard and I watched him fight Belak, and you know, I was like, okay, well, you know, maybe I can fight this guy and do well. Yeah. And then when I fought him, like he just like, like I don't know what he did, but like he just he just gave it to me pretty good. Like, like I thought I'd be able to like kind of tie him up, and he was able to get out of it, and you know, that was the first time where I actually kind of really kind of realized that this guy's like in a different level yeah. than me in terms of fighting like he just I couldn't like whatever I tried to do like yeah. he countered and then kind of hit me um, and again he's a super big guy yep. long long arms um, great balance mm-hmm. and then just technical yeah um, you know so he was actually pretty cool like because he got me on the ground he had my shirt over my head and he didn't hit me um, while I was on the ground and yeah. I was so upset that I actually went after again, after him again. I tried to grab him and I like I missed and like he hit me with like a left hook or something like that. <laughs> yeah. um, and I was just kind of like dazed because I couldn't believe that I couldn't uh, I couldn't touch him. So yeah. he was, but I knew that he was a guy who uh, you know he trained a lot, right? He did MMA, yeah. oh yeah, Muay Thai. Yep. You know, uh, I think he boxed as well. So you know, for me, I didn't really necessarily expect to kind of beat him. I was just more about standing up for myself. And right. uh, again, you know, you kind of learn about yourself and then also about. You know how good you know these guys these enforcers really are at what they do like yeah. a lot of people don't realize that not anybody can do that job right um and not anybody can do it at a level um you know you know at the american league level or the nhl level like it's just it takes a, a special person to kind of have those tools and it takes a long time to develop them mm. you know so uh yeah definitely a lot of respect to those guys um and again i mean it was just a great opportunity for me to kind of learn and kind of you know show what i could do so um, great, great memories. Though. I, I remember them very vividly. So, um, was there? I, I, I this just dawned on me now because we haven't really spoken much about it. Because you know they, you know, like with a fight, you can make that happen. But a lot of time, a lot of times, a big hit isn't there. And as someone who likes to hit, is there one hit in your career that stands out where you might have absolutely free trained a guy? Yeah, you know, there's, there's, there was a game in in Philadelphia. And um, I was a D-man with me and a D-man were going towards the puck. And I literally like, I like just, I don't know what I did, but I just crushed this guy. And I just kind of kept going like a bus. Like I just kind of yeah. went right through him. Mm-hmm. And then I, I ended up making like a backhand sauce pass to Marty Korea. Yeah. Uh, and he ended up uh, scoring nice um, the goal. And yeah. uh, it, it, was, it was huge for me because Philadelphia, you know, at the old spectrum wasn't yeah. an easy place to play. Yep. And Philadelphia had a tough team. Like they always had three or four guys. Always. That were super tough. They had Todd Fatork that mm-hmm. was there, and I don't know. There was a whole bunch of yep. other guys there, but uh, I do remember it because after the game, um, we went somewhere, and Billy Billy Smith was there. Nice. So Billy Smith was the uh, he was like the goalie coach for the Islanders. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyway, we were just kind of chatting small talk, and he mentioned like that play to me about how I kind of ran that guy over, and he thought it was awesome. So. You know, it was kind of like a small moment between me and Billy. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I would say that that was kind of, you know, kind of a pretty good hit. Like, it was just kind of something that just kind of happened. And I ended up crushing the guy and then, you know, backhand pass and you end up scoring a goal. Like, that doesn't happen that often. Right. So, 
Yeah, that was memorable for me. Now, your your last fight with Bridgeport, another guy who made a living at fighting people, uh, Binghamton's Brett Cloutier. Uh, yeah, do you remember yeah. that one? Yeah, of course. I mean, he was a huge guy. He's like six five, six six, and, I, and I'd watch him fight Belak all the time. Yeah, and you know, in my in my perspective, Belak would always kind of give it to him, right? Yeah. And so Belak actually kind of made it look easy against yeah. him. <laughs> so you know. When we were playing against, I think Cluche, I guess he was with Albany or maybe he was with Binghamton. I'm not sure what Binghamton. team he was, but okay, so he was at Binghamton. And so for me, I was kind of, you know, it was a tough point in my career because, you know, I'd gone to camp with the Islanders mm-hmm. and I didn't get a shot to really play any exhibition games. Right. And uh, um, I didn't necessarily know what the reason was. Like, the, you know, I'd heard different things, but I was kind of deflated because I thought that I might get a chance. So going down, getting sent back to the American League. Yeah. You know, I don't know what I was thinking, but, you know, Kluche was there and I, something happened and I was like, yeah, let's do this. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I went after him, like, I didn't realize how big he was. And I was yeah. just like, yeah, I remember trying to kind of grab him and move him. And, you know, he had great balance and yeah. great leverage. And, you know, I think I, I think he, he hit me once or twice. I think one time he hit me on the top of the helmet and I yeah. got lucky because that was going to be a hard shot. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, I just remember, you know, when I was fighting him, I was just like, man, like, I just, this guy... I can't get free. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it just seemed like he was kind of just wrapping me up. And so, I mean, you know, luckily I think we fell. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it was, it was interesting because I really thought that I would be able to do better against him. But I never realized, I, I re- in, in that moment, I realized actually, you know, a guy like B, like how good he is yeah. fighting these guys, right? Because he would make it look easy. Yep. And so, you know, I kind of thought, okay, well, I can do the same thing. But, you know, once I got in there, I was like, oh, you know what? No, I, it's, it's a little bit harder than just doing what you what you've seen right so yeah definitely um lesson learned definitely lesson learned right that's how you learn so absolutely uh, um now unfortunately uh your season did not end like anyone would want it to uh if i read it right you tore your acl and partially tore your mcl how did that happen yeah so i was at a game we're playing in philadelphia and uh, philadelphia is one of the, you know one of my favorite places to play so yeah. you know so we're there I was on a PK, and, uh, you know, one of their forwards had the puck, and he was trying to get by me, and I, I stuck my leg out to kind of trip him. Yeah. And when I stuck it out, I think I extended it a little too far, and um, I was just kind of planted. So when he hit it, like, I didn't move, and so all the Oof. impact was on the on the right knee. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I fell to the ground, and, you know, for whatever reason, I couldn't get back up. And, yeah. you know, I experienced a, a lot of pain, and, you know, up until that point, I'd been pretty fortunate. Like I hadn't experienced any, you know, broken bones or, or torn anything. So, you know, yeah. for me, that was, uh, you know, it was concerning. So, you know, I didn't really know what to think, to be honest with you. So we ended up, uh, I think I didn't play the rest of the game and ended up going to get an MRI the next day. And that's when I was told I have a, you know, torn MCL and, and torn ACL. Uh, um, and so obviously that was devastating for me because that's, you know, that was, I thought my year to get a yeah. chance to play. Um, you know, with Long Island, you know, yeah. like the year, be- not the year before, but, you know, there were a couple of guys moving up and down already in October. Yeah. And, you know, I was kind of like, I, I know that if I get the chance, I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it was, it was pretty tough. It was, it was really tough because I, you know, I kind of felt like I was close, right? Like I just kind of, I was in the second year of my, my two way NHL contract. And so, yeah. you know, the, before there was the lockout, so I yeah. didn't get it, you know, there was no chance to go up to the NHL. So, you know, that injury was, uh, was devastating for me to be honest with you yeah yeah it was super hard super hard now obviously it ended your season but you didn't play after that was was the severity of the injury such that 
you couldn't play or uh, I guess that had a big part in you retiring. Uh, was it ever a thought in your mind to come back? Did you try to come back or did you just decide to, to call it a day? Yeah, so I mean, so they, the, the tear was was pretty bad and the swelling was pretty bad. So like it took me about six weeks to get all the swelling down and, and range of motion where the the orthopedic surgeon felt comfortable doing surgery. Yeah. So, you know, that brought me into like January. And so then I had the surgery January and then, um, you know, I, I rehabbed it, right? So I tried yeah. to come back from it. Um, I did like 10 months of rehab um, and, and I did okay. Yeah. Um, but you know what? The, the thing was, it was tough to, I couldn't get a contract, right? So I, right. you know, I, I, my contract had just ended and I couldn't get a contract in the NHL and I couldn't right. get one in the American League. And so tried to come back. I ended up signing a contract with Las Vegas in the East Coast. Okay. Under the condition under the condition that I get a um, a tryout with uh, their American League affiliate in um, what was it? It was in um, I don't know where they're. It was right. like Idaho or, or okay. somewhere there. Anyway, so I ended up going out there. And uh, I'd done ten months of rehab, but it just wasn't the same. Like I just yeah. didn't have, you know, that power that I that I needed as a big guy. Like I kind of, I needed that extra power to kind of keep up with some of the smaller guys. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it just it just wasn't the same. Um, and I couldn't play at the level I felt that I wanted to. Right. Um, and so so for me, it, it was just kind of like you know, I kind of felt like, um, you know, I'd kind of already played in like I'd made it up to the American League almost the NHL. Mm-hmm. I didn't really want to go back to the East Coast League and work my way up. Right. And, uh, you know, ultimately I felt content with what I had achieved, you know, over those five years. Yeah. And uh, to be honest with you, the knee just wasn't um, what it was. Like I just, at that level, I just, I couldn't play, um, unfortunately. And so for right. me, I decided it was, you know, the right time to kind of walk away. And obviously a difficult decision, not easy. Um, you know, I had to speak to my mom, my dad. Yeah. You know, some of my friends. You know, yeah. kind of because you know, like you define yourself as a hockey player for so many years, and then you never expect that it's going to be you know over so yeah. soon. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was super difficult, um, but luckily, you know, I have a supportive family, and you know, I had my education, so I knew, you know, at the very least, I could, you know, come back and find a job and start a life. So uh, it ended up being a great. Uh, uh, decision for me my dad was sick at the time um he ended up passing away you know not too long after that so mm. you know for me it ended up being a great thing because i got to spend you know the last you know 10 months of my dad's life you know with him helping right. him and supporting him and my family so it ended up being a, a good thing so i you know i wouldn't change anything yeah um i felt like it just kind of happened the way it was supposed to yeah it's weird how things work sometimes isn't it yeah 100 yeah. percent. um yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sorry to hear about your dad. Obviously, that that uh, you know, sorry to hear about that. I'm, and I never say I'm glad you got hurt, but obviously, the way it worked out, I'm I'm glad you were able to spend that time with him. So, um, the last thing I'll say about your uh, your hockey career, um, one of the things that you did receive, and we talked about this with the other other enforcers and everything about their character and how they are off the ice. Mm-hmm. You were acknowledged as the Sound Tigers Man of the Year, and for people who don't know what that is that's for off the ice stuff and contributions in the community like uh, children's hospitals and and just pretty much everything and it seems to be a common theme amongst the tougher players where you guys get so much joy in doing this off the ice stuff and you're not doing it for the accolades but it it was nice you know for someone like me that you know i root for you guys it's nice to see that you get acknowledged for that kind of thing 
Yeah, you know, that was actually quite a, that was a surprise to me. Like, I wasn't really um, expecting that. Um, but, you know, I was super grateful to, to get that acknowledgement. I mean, you know, one of the things that pro hockey provided me was an opportunity to kind of work with, you know, other people, work in communities and get to, you know, learn about their lives and their struggles and, you know, find a way to kind of, you know, bring some happiness or some joy to, you know, some of those people uh, was, was a great uh, thing for me. So, you know, community work was very important for me, you know, starting with the Elmira Jackals, we had to kind of, we would go into the community at least twice a week and do different events, whether it was, you know, going to a church for, you know, a fundraiser or going to a group home and, and hanging out with kids that are disadvantaged. I mean, for me, that was kind of part of the job and part of giving back to the community. And, um, you know, especially being from New Haven, it was important for me to under, to, to learn about people in, in the Connecticut area and, you know, get involved in different initiatives, especially sporting, you know, young people and, and, and schools and hospitals and, uh, you know, Bridgeport community gave, gave a lot to me, right? I mean, I, yeah. I definitely acknowledge the fact that, um, you know, without the community, we wouldn't be there. We wouldn't be playing games. And, uh, you know, for me, it was it was just, um, you know, that was probably the most important part of my career, to be honest with you, just to kind of give back to the, to the local hockey teams and, and uh, you know, just kind of pay it forward. Like, I had a lot of very good coaches and mentors um, as a young man, and, um, those people made a difference in my life and, uh, you know, any opportunity that I had to kind of help somebody out. And I think most, you know, most guys at, at the professional level, especially in hockey, especially the enforcers, those are the kind of guys that care, you know, care a lot about people and their well-being. Yep. So it's no surprise to me that, um, you know, those guys tend to be the guys who are in the community and, and helping out. Yeah. So, um, what are you doing now, and, and uh, what what have you done since you retired? Because it's been, uh, you know, I'm looking at the years now, and I'm like, <laughs> oh my god, it's been it's been about 15 years. So yeah, so what what yeah. have you done since you retired, and what are you doing now? Oh man, I've done a lot. I mean, I've done a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, and I as soon as I got back, I went back into uh, the nightlife. So I started working back in security. Yeah. Um, so I ended up running some um, some big nightclubs here in uh, the city of Toronto as a security manager by night and on the weekends, and then. You know, I end up going to, the first thing I did is I went to graduate school. So yeah. I went to graduate school um, and I was studying philosophy and I didn't really like it. Like I wasn't yeah. good at it. It just, it wasn't for me, but I ended up getting, a, I had a teaching assistant position. So I really enjoyed that. So from that, I went into teaching. So I ended up oh, going wow. to teacher's college at U of T for a year and then end up teaching at a private school um, for two years, which was pretty interesting. They're, yeah. they're big hockey fans, obviously, big, big yeah. league fans. So you know, you know, the kids were pretty receptive to me and, and my stories about hockey, and they also liked the nightclub stuff yeah. um, in terms of the different people I would interact with. So, you know, I did that for a couple of years, and then, you know, with the security stuff, I, you know, a lot of opportunities kept coming to me, right? So we, you know, I ended up working for a big uh, entertainment company here that would uh, own quite a few nightclubs, restaurants. They did uh, music festivals. So, you know, I was just doing security for them, uh, managing their operations, and, you know, it was you know, so I do like you know all the big DJs uh, from Las Vegas. Whenever they came to Toronto, they would come to our establishment. So that was something that I did for a couple of years. Um, and then more recently, I've been getting more into kind of um, communities. So you know, for a year, I worked with the government of Ontario, um, Ministry of Transportation, on doing community relations work. And um, you know, now I'm cut. Now I'm working for Toronto Community Housing. So I've taken kind of you know my educational background and my security background and my community relations background and now I'm working um, in community housing so we have about 100,000 people who live in community social housing here in Toronto 
Yeah. So I have an area of Toronto where I'm responsible um, for following up on safety and security issues. So I'm an advisor. So, you know, so now I'm trying to find ways to, you know, make our safers, our communities a little bit safer. So um, for me, it's a great job, meaningful, um, you know, working in, in at risk or, you know, uh, underprivileged communities and trying yeah. to find ways to, you know, kind of connect them with either social services or supports or, you know, making their homes or buildings more safe. So um, I'm busy. I'm busy. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, got, I got three kids. Yeah. Um, we just actually we just opened up a garage gym. So oh, nice. We, just, we toured. We had a hundred year old garage that was run down. And so uh, my partner, she's a fitness uh, instructor, trainer, okay. personal trainer. And so we ended up, we built a brand new garage put a gym in there 500 square feet and now we're training people out of the garage so uh yeah no so things are good man things are good busy actually you know, i just got back into hockey too so yeah i've actually i'm assistant coach with uh one of the triple a teams here in toronto so yeah a lot has changed um always doing new things but um you know hockey is definitely still a big part of me and so it's nice to kind of you know be able to get back involved in it that's unbelievable that is so great so um, first of all, Jody, I want to thank you uh, for coming on the show and allowing me to uh, uh, go through your hockey journey with you and to, to tell your story to the people who listen to the show. And, and the question I always end with uh, for everybody is, uh, did I miss anything? Is there any part of your career that, uh, that I didn't ask you about that you'd like to talk about now? <laughs> no, I mean, listen, Joe, I, I was, one, it's a pleasure to, uh, you know, spend this time with you and kind of share with you some of my experiences. Um, I, I'm impressed with how thorough you were. I mean, like, <laughs> I didn't really expect to, to kind of talk about a lot of these uh, places and times, but um, yeah. no, I mean, I think, I think you hit, you, I think you hit everything uh, out of the park. Oh, um, man. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I got to play with some really good players. Uh, there's yeah. no question, especially, you know, the guys in Long Island, the New York Islanders, I mean, that was kind of a highlight for me to be able to play, you know, with guys, you know, like Trent Hunter and Rick yeah. DiPietro and Alex, Alexa Yashin, like, you know, for me, that was uh, huge because I just, you know, I, I was just like kind of in awe of those guys and, and people don't realize how good those guys are until you kind of, you actually, you're there playing with them. So, uh, I think you hit everything out of the park, man. I appreciate uh, the questions, to be honest with you. Oh, man. Well, listen, that means a lot to me. I, I say I'm not really good at much, but uh, I do take pride in the show. I do take pride in my research. So hearing that from you really means a lot to me. I appreciate that. Thank you, Joe. All right. Well, Jody, you have a great night, and we'll talk soon, okay? All right. Sounds good, man. Thank you. All right. Good night. Take care. Thanks once again to Jody Robinson for coming on the show. I had a great time doing that interview because aside from following Jody uh, with the games that I had seen or maybe some highlights on YouTube or however I would follow him through box scores, uh, I'd never really had an extended conversation with him. So uh, the stories that you've heard maybe for the first time, I have also heard for the first time. And um, I thought I thought he was great. So uh, one of the things I pride myself in is my preparation, and you've heard me say that before, and, and I've said it earlier in the uh, in the intro. Um, and there was actually something about Jody that I knew that when I was making my notes, I did not put in there, and I did not ask him. And then I recently just sent him a message and said, hey, is this true? And he said, yeah, and I was kicking myself. Jody Robinson's uncle, if you're a fan of the NFL back in the day, uh, Jody Robinson's uncle was this beast this massive building that used to play for the New Orleans Saints named Bruce Clark. And uh, Bruce Clark was, uh, he was an animal, and uh, he just 
he was just this massive dude and and I, i'll always associate you know how you always associate um you know what in any sport you'll associate two guys together like bossy tridier or bomber and mick vakota um you know messi gretzky when they were with edmonton um I'll always associate Bruce Clark and Ricky Jackson together. Those two guys for New Orleans were, they were devastating. And uh, I think Bruce Clark uh, goes under the radar a lot of the time because uh, playing on the defensive line, a lot of time he, if you know the game, you know that there are are certain guys whose job it is to kind of, you know, plug up things, maybe take two guys on and, and free up space for linebackers or other players to go in and rush the quarterback or make the tackle. So, um, I think a guy like Bruce Clark uh, definitely went under the radar many times. Uh, and you know what? Similar to the enforcers where they kind of go under the radar for the glory uh, that the teammates can get. So uh, so I forgot to uh, mention that to Jody. Uh, but yes, Jody's uncle is Bruce Clark. And like I said, he's an underrated monster that used to play for New Orleans. So it's no wonder that uh, Jody Robinson has uh, those genes where he himself was a, a pretty big dude himself. So uh thank you once again jody I, I appreciate you coming on the show and taking the time so as i said in the intro we're uh we I, I keep saying we by the way when i say we i mean i it's just me here uh there there is no producer there's no co-host there's no nothing it's just me uh so when i say we it's really just accidental uh but i like i said i'm, I'm doing the format change so there will not be an interview next week but I will be bringing you uh, the top 10 toughest Islander right wings. And I know that for sure because although I haven't recorded the episode yet, uh, I will record it at some point this week. So I can say without a doubt that uh, I will bring you that episode. And uh, I'm going to take the next week, week and a half, and try to nail another interview down. It would be really great if my uh, new format works out where I have an interview followed by a solo episode, followed by an interview, followed by a solo episode. Uh, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, if I've learned anything in the, uh, what was this now, 10 months maybe that I've been doing this, that nothing is for sure. So uh, thank you once again, everybody who listened to this and who has continued to listen. If you're a new listener, please go back in the archives and um, check out the uh, past episodes. And um, that's it, everybody. So uh, have a great week and stay safe.